What's up, everybody? This is Tim Green from the Dividend, the premier social-emotional learning project for boys in Memphis. And I'm here with Ina Esco of Verbally Effective Podcast. Welcome once again to the Verbally Effective Podcast, best of 2018. I am your host, your double E, Ina Esco. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey that I began in January of this 2018. I have truly enjoyed it, met some amazing people. And this episode is all about celebrating some of the best moments on Verbally Effective Episode 49. Before we go any further, I just want to thank the team that I have developed that I'm so proud of and I'm so grateful to have. I want to thank Mr. Jeremy Pride of Jedi Digital. He is my videographer. He is my go-to digital guy. He handles all of those things for me. And also my wonderful, smart uh, Dr. Sanaa Laybourne for joining the team as the producer. And, you know, this podcast is really centered around art, culture, music, politics, and entertainment. So we are going to do this episode 49 accordingly. We're going to kick it off with the arts. So my guest for episode 11 is artist Marco Pave. And he was actually a TEDx speaker on this year. And he threw out a lot of information surrounding how art is funded for Tennessee. Take a listen. You put out a lot of statistics mm-hmm. in your TEDx talk. And one of them when you got down to Tennessee stating that six million out of a twelve billion budget mm-hmm. as far as money going towards the art mm-hmm. correct mm-hmm. is not being utilized. Mm-hmm. Why aren't we utilizing that budget? Like they have their preferences on what we're gonna give money to in, in nonprofits. Like how does that work? Um so a lot of yeah, a lot of the nonprofits end up getting a lot of the money but even with the the six million dollars that's not enough that's it's not enough for, that's for a drop in the bucket. yeah it's literally a drop in the bucket so tennessee is just one of those weird states where we don't do the logical things to to move the people forward mm-hmm. um it's a very conservative state and anything that works for the people is is the opposite of what the government go, the government wants to do so you know tennessee has one of the largest populations of of, of prison prisoners in in the in the country Maybe and therefore the world and so that, that has a, a lot mm. lot to do with it and then just on the memphis memphis level um the investments are you know people spend so much money on developing an organization and the organization goes out to okay let's find the artists let's find the artists that we need to to, to fund but you 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 took 15 steps to do one step Instead of just finding the artists and funding the artists and letting them do do what they're going to do, mm-hmm. which which is going to bring success to the city regardless. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people don't want to look at artists in that light. They just assume that artists will blow the money or or, or it'll be a bad investment or they'll just not live up to their word. And mm-hmm. so with the investments in the art, specifically in the artists, is, is not, not happening. Sad. Not sure if you know this, but there are so many things to do in the areas of art and culture in the city of Memphis. Let's take a listen to what artist slash entrepreneur Kelvin Woods of the T-Shirt Lab had to say about his project called Black Art-ish. So painting and drawing is my passion. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of put it 
on the shelf uh, because of business was growing and, you know, I wanted to make sure that that part was taken care of. Uh, so last, well, actually this year, last year, 2017, around November time frame, I decided I really wanted to kind of put myself back in that space. Mm-hmm. So I bought a couple canvases and I started painting. And uh, before I knew it, I had six or seven pieces. And my wife was like, what are you going to do with this? We don't, you know, we don't have that many, that much wall space. So I was like, well, I don't know. Are they big? Were they big? Everything was pretty big, 24 by 36 and bigger. Uh, some of them six-piece, uh, six-foot uh, canvases. Mm. And I would just get off work. I would come home, and I would go to town. And before I knew it, like I said, I had a body of work, and uh, I decided that I wanted to put on a show. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I got to thinking about it a little bit more, I realized there was a lot of artists here in the city that was really in the same position as me. It was, mm-hmm. you know, They had talent. Uh, they had the skill set, but they didn't necessarily have the exposure. So I was like, you know, I didn't want to be stingy or selfish with the platform. So I brought on a couple of buddies that I knew that was doing art. And uh, we we came together and we created Black Artists. So we did the first show uh, in February 2018 at the end of February. We didn't know what to expect. Uh, it was seven artists on the platform. And uh, the night of the show, we had almost 500 people show awesome. up. Awesome. Where so was it? It was at Crosstown. Okay. Yeah, it was a real dope experience. It just opened, didn't it? Uh, was it was it like around the time it opened? Uh, maybe, maybe okay. I'm I'm not aware. I'm not sure what the what the grand opening date for okay. Crosstown was. But yeah, it's still okay. new. It's still yeah. new today. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so we did it at Crosstown, and uh, it was a real dope experience. Now, one of the highlights of my year for the podcast is when we hooked up with live paint artist Jamon Bullock on location at the Martial Arts Studio to talk about the Young, Gifted, and Dope series. This is episode two of Young, Gifted, and Dope. So last year, we uh, partnered with the concert, you know, so it's, it's one of those things where it's like a weekend type of thing where people are coming in town for Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. right? So they get to go to an art opening, and then the next day, concert. Right. You know, so it's just... Connected to it, and then we're trying to do some stuff where it may be like a comedy set, you know, okay. one day as well. So, you know, all of the this art. Is, this is somewhat of, you know, on a smaller scale. <laughs> Memphis Basel. <clears throat> yeah, but yeah, it's. I mean, you know, you got the River Arts Fest. I was mm-hmm. a part of that. Um, Cooper Young Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, you got Soulsville Festival that's going oh, on. Yeah. That, it's a lot of good stuff going on in Memphis, you know. Uh, right now it's a good time to be an artist here. Okay, okay, let's jump into Memphis culture. When I say that, it could mean so many things, right? So let me give you a little preparation. Uh, we're going to hear from G-Nerd talking about Jukin. Also, Tiffany Blackman will discuss that whole controversy surrounding the Yo Gotti billboard earlier this year. Remember that? Alexis Young, Don Tripp. Brown Lee, Mr. Dale, Memphis Meeks, Peppa Mouth of the South, and Tanya Dyson are all going to talk about the entire resurgence of Memphis music. But I used to just watch this little tape called a moonwalker tape. And so I seen that and I was like, man, all I ever want to do is learn how to like moonwalk. That was it. Mm-hmm. If I could do that, I was cool. But then I seen Jook and I'm like, what, the, what is this? Like my first time moving to Memphis, like 94. And I'm like, what is this? And like, this is this something different. You know, they moving like right. him, but it's it's just different to the music and to just the whole little vibe was just just different. And when you're young and saying that, it's like it's just eye catching. Well, kind of like you, I first moved to Memphis in '95, and I was a junior in high school. 
That junior year, I attended Raleigh Egypt School. Oh, you seen all the gangster walkers. I saw <laughs> all the gangster walkers. But look, so first of all, I'm culture shock. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, you know, when the teachers miss school, we would go to the gym a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I remember, I'm the new girl. And so I just see these guys dancing and it's looking like they floating on air, but popping right. at the same time. I'm like, what are they doing? It's different, yeah. So me being me, I'm like, can you show me how to do the dance? Oh, so, you was one of them. So I was one of them. Yeah. And I'm still one of them. Like, dude, show me a couple of little moves. Did anybody show you? Yes. Uh, okay. I'm telling you, he showed me a couple of moves. So every time I hear something like lock him in the truck, I think I'm just <laughs> Remember I told you, I said, I know how to do it. And you like, all right, whatever. Nah, okay. I, I believe, <laughs> but I don't believe. So, Tiffany, I know that you kind of wanted to touch on the recent controversy with the Yo Gotti billboard coming down, which, let me explain before we go into that topic, the reason why the Yo Gotti billboard was taken down. It was just really not even a big deal. It was in the wrong location. But everybody ran with the story when they saw that billboard go down. I actually called my friend Pepper to see what was going on the day it happened. And he was like, Esco, it's not even a big deal. They had it in the wrong location and they're just moving it to the right location. I also noticed comments online from, let's just say, a parent on their way um, to the school where the billboard was located and felt some type of way because Yo Gotti is pictured as a representative of the Shelby County school system in a derogatory manner. It started a lot of dialogue when really no one from Shelby County School took it down because of anything anybody said. It was simply in the wrong location, location. but it started all of this talk. So how do you feel about the situation, Tiffany? I think we are so quick as African-Americans in Memphis to say we don't have a platform, we're not giving a voice, um, our children need images of us. And when we get that image of us, regardless of what his job or occupation is, we picked it apart. We had a problem with it. Why? Why not him? He graduated from Memphis City Schools, Shelby County Schools. Mm-hmm. He made it out of the hood. Very successful businessman. He's He's giving opportunity to other black males. They could be doing something else, but... A lot of people don't see that and they don't know that. And they had a problem with, well, why are we trying to tell our kids to become or expire to be rappers? They missed the whole point. And they drew their own conclusion Mm -hmm. versus saying, hey, he reaching out to the kids. And and, and believe it or not, our children look up to these artists, whether we like it or not. Definitely, definitely. You think they want to see D-Army Bailey? I got much respect for him. Who is that? They're like, who is that? Correct. But if we can reach them with someone that they admire, why not? that it's an underground movement going on right now trying to put Memphis on the map. You know, we got Block Boy JB, Moneybag Yo, of course Yo Gotti. Yep. But I just think something is brewing right now in the city. You know, I was talking with my friend about that. It's Memphis. Okay, one thing about Memphis, they've been having this surge. I think what's happening now is like, I don't, and I don't want to give credit to the younger people, but I think what's happening is where social media's gotten pop, popping. Sorry, I, I'm going to just be a little <laughs> urban. But it's it's starting to boost up. Cause Bla- I remember when Black Boy wasn't as huge as he is now. I remember mm-hmm. when he first, I think it was, I think it was Shoe when it first came out. And as social media started growing, you started seeing now they shooting in Texas. They do it a little funny, y'all, but they shoot in Texas, mm-hmm. shooting on the West Coast. It's everywhere now. Mm-hmm. So... Personally, I think social media is, bro- is making it bigger. And then, two, 
now even the community is starting to mm-hmm. see, okay, what what is this underground? What is yes, this? So yes. I think that's what's going on. Memphis is popping right mm-hmm. now. I mean, it's, it's so much going on with music right now. And I know you've noticed this just like everybody else noticed this mainstream that a lot of music that came out of Memphis is getting sampled right now. Yeah, yeah. So it's, how do you feel doing. about that? Like, I think why it's do you great. think now it's happening? I think it's happening now because it worked. Mm-hmm. Somebody tried it. and it, that's, I mean, that's everything in life. Somebody tried it. It worked. And they said, hey, damn, you know what? It's a crate full of good three six shit how about we use all of it and now they coming out the woodworks and i think it's great because paul and juice have been in it long enough to understand the business so i can't see you being able to exploit their music without them being compensated Mm -hmm. they covered the bases that's what i love about it the most you know because you know regardless of how people have you know their personal feelings about it when so and so uses a song from them, I mean, these two niggas got it. They know what they're doing. So if I hear, you know, the Cardi B record and it's sampled from them, yeah, I know they got paid. Head. I don't I care what. She, yeah, it don't matter what she <laughs> names it. I know they got paid. And to me, that's the greatest thing about it. The people that you know, she don't got to for me. And it's, it works different for other people, but she don't got to say it in the song that she got it from them. She don't got to say it in the interview. I don't care. And that's the big news. I just today. want people to to get what they deserve. I want them to to, to eat off of what they earn. And right. they, you know, again, I know, you know, I'm very close with Juicy, mm-hmm. so you know, I, I know they they cover their bases. So the more samples and excerpts I hear from from okay. they, I. They they ain't letting that slide. You're not supposed to. I mean, that's that's the no. nature of this business. I mean, right. they've been in this too long to, you know, to not know how to. Memphis music is p- pretty much taking over. Hello. Like, I mean, the things that got in yes. Moneybag and and Block Boy and Juicy Black J, Youngster and Juicy J. Six, they getting out of beat. The girl the won. What's her name? The one um, the fourth. Um, Evie. Oh, Evie, Evie McKinney. Evie. Memphis music, Kate Michelle, you can't, Memphis music is going to another level. You know, you had a really big hit back in the day when I used to go to D&D. Come on now. Can you even say the name of that That was my college. That was your college? Man, yeah, D&D, oh my God. Yeah, I ain't ain't go to college, so D&D was my college. Fresh out of high school, I went to D&D and was there faithfully. Yes. (laughs) I was too. (laughs) I was too, and then when man, that was my church. Yeah, yeah, that was my church. That's Mr. Dale, y'all. Come on now. Hello, hello. Memphis, no nine on one stand up. You know, Ass and Titties was the last song we put it out, and I remember at the club. I can't forget. I never forget the night he played it. (laughs) He was like, "Yo, we go play it." He said, "But, but it's new. It's brand new, so we can't play it during the regular club. I'm gonna play it at the end." Mm So the lights came on. You already know how it go. Mm-hmm. At the D, the lights come on, yeah. and that's time for everybody to walk out. Right. When the lights came on, he dropped ass and titties, and the people kept stayed on the floor. Yeah. And then when that hook came in, it just they started chanting it, mm-hmm. and and the reaction, it was just it was over. Immediate. It was e- immediate. That's oh, how we wow. knew we had a hit. That's how you know you got a hit. It was immediate. Oh my! And so I never forget immediate that. success with the record. Right. So how? did the transition with Hypnotize Minds, 3-6 Mafia come about? Okay, now remember I told you in high school I was basically running behind them. Mm-hmm. You know, trying, I was I, I rapping them all the time. 
And I don't know, I guess maybe at the time they felt like, oh, you know, you like the little brother of the crew. Like, just go on, pass out these flyers. Like, mm-hmm. they never really paid attention. But I guess when they saw me do it on my own mm-hmm. and they heard about it, that was when Juicy gave me a call. And Juicy was like, yo, man, I love that song mm-hmm. you got. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's up? Like, let's let's do something. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I was like, cool. I was like, and we began to, that's when we began to, to negotiate and I had signed with Hypnotize, but I was very, um, you know, adamant about Howard being involved because mm-hmm. I knew, okay, well, without Howard, you know, putting the money behind it, you never would have took notice. This never would happen. Were you so, wanting Howard to be like management or? Not necessarily management, but I mean, just, you know, at the time I was young and mm-hmm. I really just didn't know what place I wanted him to be, but I knew I wanted him to be a part of it. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So Howard was, you know, he he got the lawyer. You know, he they negotiated the deal. They worked mm-hmm. everything out, and he really watched my back. You know what I'm saying? So I always like, you know, will be indebted to Howard for that man uh, because he believed first, and then also, you know, he was just a part of that transition of me going over mm-hmm. to to with three six. And because I had always looked at them as my big brothers, mm-hmm. when they you know wanted to sign me, I was ready. You know, it was good. I was ready to go. So signed the contract. We hypnotized. They put it out on the hypnotized camp posse. Um, uh, we did BT the basement that whole nine, and then uh, just went uh, Easter Sunday um, in two thousand. I just ended up going to church, and uh, I wanted to go to church because I hadn't seen my family. So I ended up going to church, and uh, that was when I had this encounter with mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it wasn't nothing I was looking for. Like I was doing what I wanted to do, but. I had I heard the voice of God and mm. and I heard him tell me he wanted me to do the same thing I was doing but do it for him. So mm. when I heard that it just resonated with me and I saw a vision and uh in the vision I saw me doing what I'm doing now mm. and uh I just was like man well if I do this you're going to have to take care of me. Mm-hmm. And uh God said trust me and yes. ever since then I've been doing that. So in the midst, <laughs> in the <laughs> right. midst in the of middle of it it hadn't even fine. dropped off. You went to church on Easter Sunday. Yeah. You hadn't seen your family in a while. Right. And you yeah, I had saved. been touring and stuff and everything. Yeah, gave my life to God, man. Yeah, I like to see uh, people representing where they're from. And, you know, Memphis with our music kind of being at another level now. Right, it's going up. I know, right? Like, these shirts are good business for you right now. Right, Like, right. really good business for you. Right, because it's not just only because... I think my last, the biggest shirt I had was the Memphis vs. Everybody shirt. And it was kind of like, you based it around sports because you're going against somebody. Mm-hmm. But just rooting for Memphis in general, that means no negative And it's just, we supporting everything in Memphis. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted it to be about. And that's what it's about. So with the uprising of Moneybag, Yo, Black Youngster, mm-hmm. Black Boy JB, the YKOMs, and the other artists that are coming out. It's a it's a slew of no- other artists about to come out too. Because these labels are looking for Memphis talent now. They are, they are. So... Yeah, I'm trying to get this shirt on every artist in the city. <laughs> well, do you have some pink and green ones? I will make one for you and Please my mom because my mom's an AKA. Is she? Yeah, yeah. So uh, where did she go to school? TSU. Okay. Tennessee oh, State. Wow, Alpha style. Tell your mama I said, "Hey, Sarah." I'm gonna tell her. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about the resurgence of all of the three I think, six beats? Yeah, everybody. I mean, I think it's just you know, like you know, because you you think about it, you know, like it's really. 
everybody been stealing their music from day one. Right. So, you know, like, it's just really, you know, Memphis just has finally, with Gotti breaking into the scene, mm-hmm. Young Dolph breaking into the scene, Moneybag Yo. Everything so, you know, every mu- uh, 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 black youngster. Yeah. So everything, we just had some artists outside of Paul and Juicy and 8-Ball MJG to really, really go mainstream. Because you got to think, even when they blew up, they made a lot, a lot of money, mm-hmm. but they weren't accepted until Hustle and Flow. True. And so once that recognition, but they their career kind of was already going on a decline. Right. So, but still, you know, they were recognized. Yeah. So, you know, they would do that. But then when Gotti started blowing up and all the rest of the artists from Memphis started blowing up. It seemed like everything coming full circle. Yeah, it's coming real full circle for yeah. real. Do you think that going to Lemoyne on that it prepared you for your music journey that you have been going through now? Um, yes, it actually did, and that was the reason why I wanted to come to Lemoyne because I was very familiar again with the with the Soulsville history. Being from Covington, you know, I followed um, and and paid attention to just the whole soul movement and looking at how Isaac Hayes moved from Covington and kind of went to Manassas and then kind of gravitated over to um, to the Soulsville area. So I kind of followed that. I've always loved the connection. That that neighborhood, you know, had with just not just Memphis music, but just music overall. You know, it's like with Stacks Museum there, and then High, the you know the origins of High Records and Royal Studios right around the corner. Right around the corner. You know, with the Verdine and Marius White. You know, being in uh, Lemoyne Gardens, growing mm-hmm. up there, and starting Earth, Wind, and Fire, and then of course. You know, as we know, with Aretha just passing away, you know, Aretha yes. grew up down the street on Lucy Avenue. Down the street. You had Lucy Campbell, one of the first to chart gospel music, and mm-hmm. um, Johnny Ace, and um, the place where I work at now, Memphis Slim Collaboratory, and ma- named after Memphis Slim, great blues musician. And, mm-hmm. I mean, just so much mm-hmm. musical history. And that's just a little bit. It's, it's like so much happened over there. And so I was interested in exploring that and seeing, mm-hmm. and this was, of course, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, and it's like a lot, um, this was before a lot of development was actually directed there. Stax Museum was new, pretty much new during yeah. that time, and so there wasn't a lot of development. So it was like I was really interested in trying to figure out a way to, like, help yeah. boost that area and help increase, like, the, the music awareness as far yeah. as the history of that neighborhood yeah. and how it was not just the neighborhood's history, but it was more like Memphis, Memphis yeah. history and just the world history. So at this time, we're going to stay on the topic of music, talking to some independent artists in the city of Memphis, some musicians, uh, promoters, discussing quite an array of topics that involve music. We're going to hear from Tyke T, Michael Mosby, Marco Pave, One Love Theo, and my soror T-Dot. I work with you a lot when I host artist showcases. Um, You do your thing. Your music has been on billboard charts. And you're an independent artist. Right. So being an independent artist, I know, is a lot of work. And I guess I want to premise this with, why have you chosen to be an independent artist versus getting with a major label? That's a good question. Nobody's ever asked me that. Normally, it always gets positioned to you like, why ain't you on yet? Why ain't you done that? No, no I don't nah, look but at it, it like, ain't like that. that. You know, honestly, because at this point, I'm a smart businessman and I ain't stupid. So if Sony wants to give me $50 million, I'm not stupid. I'm in business. Mm-hmm. Most of us are NBAs. We got this. I'm not retarded to that. But at this point, it doesn't make any sense for me to do any of those things when I realize you can do it yourself. Mm-hmm. The, the problem that I think a lot of artists have is it's like 
they say they want to be independent, but the work that they're putting in is not of that. What they're saying is, I kind of just want to put in some work and I hope somebody put me on that platform. But for me, the whole mindset that I have, I'm trying to get direct to the people. I want to cut out the middleman, right? Because I want to make it so that if I have a hot song or not, that people are engaged with me. Mm -hmm. They're focusing on me. And if I can get to the person who likes me, likes my show, likes what I do, then I'll have them forever. So it doesn't matter if I have a hot uh, 100 song or if you ain't heard from me in a couple of weeks. It's all like, dang, I still just want Tyke to create. So Mm -hmm. I'm always trying to focus on those people. And it just doesn't you you can do it like to be perfectly honest, it's going to be so much sweeter to where I'm at that point where people are like, dang, dog, like you own. I did it by myself. When we started band, we kind of like all had this big idea. We was going to move to Atlanta and only two of us went for us being there as a band that kind of changed some things. But man, just as an independent musician, it exposed me to a lot of stuff. So I came back home. And I uh, started my own band because one about hired me for gigs. I was gone. So, like, everybody had already had their people. So, I was like, man, folks ain't calling me for a gig. Bet. I ain't going to trip about it no more. I'm going to become the gig. And do you think that Memphis gave you all of the tools that you need to become the best at what you do? Um, the talent-wise, yeah. So, just being from Memphis, I feel like I have the – the list goes on of the people that I could study um, from Stax Records to Isaac Hayes to Otis Redding to Three Six Mafia to Yo Gotti. Um, I could study those people all day, but the 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 parts that I was missing was the the more of the business support um, to to really put it out there into the world. Um, I never really understood how to how to get yourself out there. We don't have labels here where you could just walk in and, and get a deal. Traditionally, if you make it as a hip-hop artist, you had some big either drug money investment or you, you lucked up and got a record deal. I don't have either either one of those. So it's like more of a of a bootstrap from the from the ground up, build it your own uh, type of deal. So it's, it's definitely built me... Even with that lack of support or lack of infrastructure, it is is made me, it's forced me to figure out how to do it on my own. So, it, Memphis still has equipped me in a way. It's just mm-hmm. in a different kind of way. True. Yeah, I'm, Memphis ain't gonna lose me because yeah, I ain't going nowhere. I feel like it would be better for me to get my break here instead of going to Atlanta. It's gonna be hard in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be the connections in Atlanta, but it's I'm pretty sure that that connection already had five ten. Jamaican came between him already. Uh, if if you already have them with him, you know what I'm saying. So it's better for me to do it here, okay. and I'm, I'm going to do it here. It's yes. going to take some time. I'll keep you here. Yeah, I'm going to do it here. Now <laughs> you've been here since uh, 11 or 12 years old. So mm-hmm. what do you like about Memphis? Memphis has got different vibes to it. <laughs> yeah, I like Memphis. Just different. It's just people are people are different. And when you go out, we can go different places. It's it ain't the same. Memphis can pretty much teach you that like if you can make it out of Memphis you can make it anywhere mm-hmm. Memphis just grow you rough pretty much <laughs> <laughs> and I understand yeah. what you're talking about it's, definitely it, it ain't easy it's hard so now when yeah. you started doing music in Memphis was it hard for you to kind of break into it and get a chance to Man. perform oh yeah really yeah especially when I was rapping like it was hard I had to like, I remember nights I used to stay out late back when I was in college I used to stay out late just going out to events trying to meet Certain people, certain DJs, certain artists trying to get a connection. Like, I remember I asked a few artists for a feature. 
Mm-hmm. And I thought I was going to, you, you know this, but I ain't going to say the name. I would ask a few artists <laughs> for a feature. And one particular person told me like $300. I'm like, man. <laughs> a I, feature? For a feature. And I'm like, I'm trying to get on just like you trying to get on. Right. And he trying to bless he, you in the heat. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that was back when I was rapping. But now I'm doing the dance all stuff. Them same artists coming back to me for a hook. Oh, really? See yeah. how the tables turn. <laughs> exactly. Like, since I've been doing the Jamaican music, that's when I got the most, like, attention. So what made you want to go on the road? Oh, it was just He's time, like, You kept Nina. telling me, Nina, it was I, time. I, I'm about to go out of town. Next <laughs> one, we going out of town. Well, come like, on, what? you going to have to come on and go. What? Right. <laughs> what made you want to go it out just, of town? It just felt like it was time. Like, you know, <clears throat> when I first started, I was nervous about it. That was my first one. And my first one was at Kitten's Cabaret. Mm-hmm. And Drummer Boy and my CEO, Miami Mike, had hosted it for me. And um, and you and Brownlee, of course, mm-hmm. my MCs. You know, and I was so nervous. But then once I got the hang of it, I was like, wait a minute. Okay, I feel I feel good about this. Mm-hmm. And it flowed exactly how I needed it to flow. And I made a lot of opportunities, you know, for the artists to network with other people and DJs and artists. And it was just... It was just so worthwhile to me, and I love helping helping people. You know me, mm-hmm. so I was like, "Yeah, I'm finna keep this up." So I just kept on doing. I did four in Memphis. Mm-hmm. I did one in Mint, and I did one at Rumble Room, and my last one was Hard Rock Cafe. Oh, that was that like was my nice. kaboom. You yeah, know, that was yeah. like my yeah. bam. I'm out of here. You Boom. know, I'm like, okay, it's time for me to mm-hmm. go on, move along. So when you think of some of the biggest events in Memphis, I'm sure a lot comes to mind. But what really stood out is Victoria Young's Le Dinner en Blanc, Cynthia Daniels' Elixir, and who could forget Tim Green's Brunch and Combos. Take a listen. Now, I mean, you got the city on fire <laughs> oh my with your other event, <laughs> with, your, with your exclusive event. Oh, Say it for me. I don't want to. Le Dinner en Blanc. Le Dinner en Blanc. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Le Dinner en Blanc. Ooh, this, this, this event here. So, like I said, I'm a creative. I like to create. Um, I like cool things and experiences. And law school kind of keeps you, um, kind of drains your creativity a little bit. So, I was thinking last year around this time, seeing my friends go in different cities. I'm like, what is this event and why doesn't Memphis have it? I'm tired of us like having to go somewhere else to do like big cool stuff Mm -hmm. so did my research reached out to the international team like okay how do we get this to memphis and went through all this i mean they they sent me through the ringer just to make sure that like i had the ability to to sell these tickets to bring it here create this experience they're kind of like chick-fil-a you know Mm -hmm. it's branded in 80 different places around the world so Mm -hmm. they want to be sure that it's consistent um it was when we posted it, um, the initial posting, it literally just blew my mind. It blew the international team's mind. They were like, who are you and what you don't want? Because wow. you, you, this is in like 24 hours, we had a 5,000-person wait list. Wow. 5,000 p- people. And I knew, I'm like, if I want to do this, it's other people who know about this. Mm-hmm. And that wait list just spoke to other people knowing about it, being ready to do something um, different, mm-hmm. uh, and we—I mean, we were rolling. Those mm-hmm. tickets went, and the hardest part has been trying to. I want to accommodate everybody. You know, mm-hmm. if people want to come, I want them to be able to. But if we only were allowed a certain. I didn't set the, the number, right? Um, and that was the you know hard part because mm-hmm. people like 
that system is crashing and <laughs> da 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 da. And I'm like, I ain't got nothing to do with it. I got people who also weren't able to secure a ticket. Um, but I th- we're going to have a great time. It's going to be a beautiful night. The whole premise of the event is just a gathering of just friends, a good time, not with the whole big, you know, like the status and all of that. It's just people who are really um, happy to be there with their friends, creating, because you got people who are like, 50 strong trying to do their decorations for their tables, wow. coordinating like that. So, so they can do that at the party? Oh, yes. That is like. So that's what makes it different? That's what makes it, it different. It's like this posh picnic, but mm-hmm. you can go as fancy and extra as you want with mm-hmm. like your table decorations, okay. with your food, um, or you can be as, you know, simple as you want. Mm-hmm. But it is really up to you. But people are really like, wow. you know, like they have really embraced the idea mm-hmm. and running with it. So there'll be entertainment. Mm -hmm. It'll be entertainment all night. It's surreal. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't plan any of this. I I give all the credit to God and he keeps giving me these visions and my events get bigger and bigger. And I just say, okay, let's go. Let's go. If you gave me the vision, it'll happen. But in hindsight, it's still incredible. Um, I just had a a event elixir last month. I had 1800 people at one event. That was not the plan, and it happened, (laughs) and it was just, it was easy for me, and easy because it was me operating in my gift. But it's still crazy. Who has a party with 1,800 people? Cynthia Davis and company. (laughs) That's who. (laughs) It was crazy. So you said you're operating in your gift. How Mm -hmm. would you describe your gift? My gift is uh, creating... Um, the unthinkable, unimaginable type of event. Um, I like to say I create an experience. I don't want it to just be a party where we're all doing the exact same thing from beginning to end. I like to think about different elements throughout any event that I plan. So that's my gift to 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 strategize what I create. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for Elixir, mm-hmm. what are like some of the elements that went down in Elixir? Okay, so I really try to outdo my own self, right? Like <laughs> they say, you're your you're your own challenge. Yes. Or um, you're your own competition. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. that's the that's the word and phrase. And so I wanted it to be more than just a party. I wanted it to be a place where people can go from room to room. So it's four different rooms. You have the Velvet Room that's themed after my hometown, Atlanta. Uh, So it's real smooth. You got some 90s vibes and we have live music. You've got the Lit Lounge. So that was the red room. And color was really important for me, right? The visual part of the experience. Lit Lounge for me. I uh, went to college in the late 90s, so we're talking cash money, hot hey, boys, 90s. UGK, 8-ball. So okay. And it was packed, that okay. particular room all they night. they wanted to be lit. They wanted to be lit. Okay. Uh, then we had the Neo Soul Lounge that was amber lights, real chill. You know, you might want to get away from the movement, so you want to just kind of sit back and relax. And then we had the reggae room. That was something mm-hmm. new for me this year, right? It was green. Um, I know a lot of people love island music, and I wanted to create a space for them. And people stayed in that room all night. So it was really, um, to me, something I have never experienced, and people seem to really enjoy it. Now, let's jump into brunch and combos. Yeah, Tell man. me how you birth brunch and combos. So um, I was Facebook creeping. Oh, you a creep on Facebook. I was creeping through and I was like, well, I didn't even really have to. So um, (laughs) it was there. It was there. So Insecure uh, first season uh, was on and popping. And I was a huge huge fan of uh, Issa Issa Rae and had followed Aqua Black Girl all on YouTube. So I was uber excited about Insecure premiering. Um, So, of course, over the 
over the course of the uh, weeks when it was on, the fan base got bigger and bigger. Uh, so by the finale for season one, everybody was just like, Team Lawrence, Team Issa, da 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 Team Daniel, da-da-da, Team Bank Chick, da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> and I was just like, so we having all these conversations, but ain't nobody, like, really doing nothing with them. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay. So um, I talked to one of my friends, Darnell. Uh, we had the same birthday. And I said, why don't we do a brunch for our birthday? Just charge a little money, mm-hmm. have a little bubbly, have one of our friends, you know, uh, do the food. Chef Philip Dwayne did the food. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had it downtown at the uh, gallery next to uh, Leadership Memphis. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, let's invite people. I got a flyer made and all that. I was like, let's do it. So we put it out there. We was like, yeah, we're doing this. And I was like, okay, cute little, you know, ticket sales, whatever. And then, like, my phone is, like, blowing up the next day. And I'm like, what is going on? So Issa Rae, like, liked the flyer. What? So everybody was freaking out about that. They were like, is she going to be there? Like, I'm trying to make you real clear. She's not going to be there. <laughs> but she liked. But she liked it. Hey, that's major. So we screenshotted that and was like, okay, cool. You know, <laughs> hey, Issa's on board for this. Like, you know, you need to get it through. And it was like instantly, like, everybody started picking up tickets to the point it was like that's 75 awesome. tickets sold. Wow. And it was just like. Okay. So how did it flow? This it was, Okay, so uh, what we do is I do an introduction. Sometimes I might have a moderator. Mm-hmm. Uh, for that one, I had Pam Brown, who also went to Whitehaven with me, my classmate. And I just had her to kind of maneuver the conversation. Mm-hmm. So when people came in, we have uh, mints at the table, because I don't want you to have your breath all stank <laughs> in front of people's faces. Um, oh then God. we have a um, um, little piece of notepaper. Um that they could do little sticky notes where they can write down questions as they talk. Mm-hmm. So even um, the screens, we had screens where it was like random questions up there. Mm-hmm. They can kind of drive the conversation while they're sitting down and eating. Okay. So then we have a bowl that comes around, and um, they put their questions in there, and then we randomly um, pick out a question and start talking about it. And it mm-hmm. just, I was like, that's that's it and people were just like when's the next one and when da, 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 da. is the next one so the next one after that was actually that february mm-hmm. and we did it for uh, a web series called giants that was on Issa Rae's channel okay. and um i was like okay this looks like it might be pretty cool so i hit up the um the email for the for the show and i was like hey we did this brunch for uh, Insecure, and we think it will be pretty cool if, uh, you know, we can do something with y'all and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So then the guy was like, hey, man, this is James Bland. And da, 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 da. I'm like, wait a minute. This is the creator of the show. Mm. And I was like, okay. So we started talking, and I brought him to Memphis for what? that one. So we did that one. Wow. Um, did Another one, we've done two more Insecure. We've done one on uh, School Days. Mm-hmm. We watched the movie uh, for one the anniversary. One of my favorite movies. Yeah, and we did um, Get Out. We oh, did one on Get Out. You're picking oh, some good ones. That was a good one. Uh, we did one on Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done one on uh, She's Gotta Have It. Mm. So, oh, I love yeah, that on we Netflix. We did that one last year. Um, and, yeah, we also – so I – so. Me and Chef D. Arthur went to Whitehaven together as well. We're really good friends. Uh, so I say, like, look, like, everybody's doing, like, the little party brunch thing, whatever. Like, that's your brand. Like, mm-hmm. I ain't going to touch that in Memphis. 
But anywhere outside of Memphis, I, I can Memphis. do a little something. So, <laughs> so uh, profound gentlemen, each year we have uh, an event called Community Impact Assembly where a lot of our uh, men of color that are involved in the program come and we have a conference that weekend. So this um, past March, we did for the Culture Brunch. Mm-hmm. And I did that. And that was my one was like, we ain't sitting down talking. We just finna turn up. Mm-hmm. And Charlotte went crazy. What? They were like, where's the next one? Really? So we just set the date for that one. So that one's going to be March 10th in, in Charlotte. So right now, I'm just kind of like, you know. You, you on, on to other cities. I, you yeah, just took yeah, it yeah. out of Memphis. Yeah, of okay. course. So they wanted it. They wanted it. So I'm, I'm taking it back. Not sure what we're going to start the year off with here in Memphis, but mm-hmm. I decided, like, you know, it is the coming up on the second anniversary. So we've been doing brunch and conversations for two years. Okay. And um, I've done 12 brunches, I believe. Now, me working in radio, I know quite a few different type of people, especially those that are involved in nightlife. We're about to hear from some people that will discuss the evolution of parties here in the Mid-South, the business side, um, navigating in a male-dominated industry, and also the outlook for 2019. We're going to hear from Brown Lee, Memphis Meeks, Sanaa Laybourne, Howard Q, Shayna J, and SQ901. Something else I've been noticing, like just from when I first met you growing up, we used to party on the weekend. Now a party can be at any given moment. When I say that, it could be during the week. It could not be at night. It could be a day. And these are just things that wasn't going on. I mean, the whole idea is to attract a certain audience. It's about it's it's, it's about trying to attract a certain audience. Of course, as a as as an as an innovator, you want to do something nobody else is really doing. Mm-hmm. If you look at it. For years, Tuesday night was a good night to go out. Nobody really does anything on Tuesday night because mm-hmm. it's not popular. Sunday night was the night to go out. And I never <laughs> understood that because people got to get up and go to work. Mm-hmm. But the dynamic of it is like, okay, older people have to go to work. Young people don't care. Mm-hmm. They're going to party. They're going to still go to work late. Mm-hmm. You know, just leaving the club. I, we've done it before. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I guess just, you know, from 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 being in this business, you have to look at what I call a soft night if you really want to make some money. So mm-hmm. there's nothing going on in this night. I'm going to take this night and run with it. A soft night. A soft night. That's a soft night. Your hardest nights, everybody got a party Friday and Saturday. Mm-hmm. Everybody goes out. We're going to go hard. We're going to go weekend. hard. We're going to go. We're going to bar hop. We're going to mm-hmm. club. We're going to dance. And you'll look up and you'll have nine things going on on a Friday, ten things going on on a Saturday. You just got a variety of things that you may want to do. Mm-hmm. So that's what encourages people to take. The other nights, because they're soft nights. Mm-hmm. And I think Memphis has so much opportunity as far as nightlife and having events. Because I really think that we're kind of behind compared to other cities that are, that are comparable sizes. It's just for some reason, I think we're catching up. But, I mean, well, I thank God we have kinda, people like you. I think we kind of <laughs> always going to be catching up in a sense. Why? Because Come on, promoter. Because the, the problem is... When, okay, you bring a, let's say people want something new to do. Everybody's like, it's nothing to do. Everybody doing the same old thing, the same old thing. All right, you come with something, and then people are hesitant about it. It's like, I don't know if I want to do that. Mm-hmm. So I've been bringing new events to the city, like the silent party and stuff like that, and people have caught on. It didn't, it wasn't instant, but after the first one, it's been mm-hmm. going. So people are coming accustomed to it, and now it's almost like a mainstay event. Yeah. Like people are waiting on the silent party. So. I see several people throwing a silent party. Yeah, it's a lot of different silent parties out here, and that's cool, too. Like, mm-hmm. we, 
I, we want the first, they want the first, whoever, like, it's going to always, somebody's always going to um, redo what you're doing or redo what somebody else did. And it's just, you know, life. I was like, you know what? I'm young. I, You know, everything is as it should be. The world is my oyster. You know, all this. So I was like, put my two weeks notice in and my, you know, state agency job and went to work full time at level two. Wow. That is quite a transition. <laughs> now, I mean, what did you do during the week at Level 2? Like, there were different nights. and Right, absolutely. So, I mean, a nightclub is a business. Yeah. So, there are still all the business things that have to happen, mm-hmm. whether that's hiring people, firing people, you know, mm-hmm. HR paperwork, payroll paperwork, ordering supplies for the club, mm-hmm. right? Ordering alcohol, glasses, you know, everything that mm-hmm. you can think about business-wise that's happening in any other business is happening in a nightclub as well. So I was kind of doing the administrative part mm-hmm. during the day and also they're available if people wanted to purchase VIP booths, take a tour of the club because they wanted to do a special event, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it was, and then also working at nights when the club was open still mm-hmm. as a VIP hostess as well. Yeah, so you kind of like... You know, we're taking care of the day-to-day operations, learning the business. Is that a business that you think that you would like to get back into? No. No? (laughs) No, ma'am. No, No, didn't you have fun? I had so much fun. I know you did. (laughs) It was fun, but let me tell you why. Tell me why. So, okay, well, I'll say two things. So, first of all, I did think working on the business, like, in a for-profit business, right? I was like, oh, maybe this would be a new career path versus like social services or a nonprofit type mm-hmm. world, right? So that was one thing that I did consider. And I had thought about maybe I'll go to school and get like my MBA, mm-hmm. right? And kind of stay on the profit side mm-hmm. of the business world. But the reason why I say no is not something that I would want to do. I think one, as you get older, it's just not going <laughs> to work yeah, being older. in the nightclub, you know, mm-hmm. every night, right? Mm-hmm. I also think as a woman, there is kind of an age kind of barrier to working in nightlife. That's mm-hmm. my opinion. Um, and I think the other thing, too, is after a while, for me, it was just like I knew that's not where I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I said, no, I wouldn't want to do that, you know, again. Mm-hmm. You gonna tell us some secrets today, Howard? Secrets? There ain't no secrets. All you gotta, no gotta do is uh, look We've on social media. We've been watching the pictures on social media. Yeah, we Howard. have uh, forty two twenty six South Third Street, Memphis, Tennessee three eight one zero nine. Will be called Studio Three. Okay. It's a uh, it's a nightclub venue. It's targeted for thirty and up. It's uh, a nice age range. Yeah, yeah, it is great age range and. It's one of those things I'm partnering with uh, Thomas Brownlee, a.k.a. BBEMG, a.k.a. Big Brownlee. Um, And the thing is, is that it's a pretty it's a pretty sizable investment. Uh, I think it's like a three and a half million dollar build out in Westwood. Um, So, I mean, that's what we've been working on for about over a year now, just silently. Now it's about time to get it done. It's one of the few venues in the city that's been designed by by a DJ. You designed the building, Howard? Mm, a lot of the modifications coming from being a transition from being a strip club to a uh, a nightclub, yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of little details that most people, unless you've been involved with nightlife for a very long time, wouldn't think about. Mm. You know, when you come in the door, we have a very a very 
very, very well laid out uh, entry area and a coat check that you can see. Mm. So people don't have to feel insecure about their valuables being in their coats. I mean, the whole coat check is wide open, Mm -hmm. but it's guarded. Just little stuff like that. DJ booth is flat, Mm -hmm. has a lot of space. Um, The sound system is going to be second to none. It's going to be concert level. Just stuff like that. I know you're going to have that sound right. Oh, yeah, it's going to be tight. Mm -hmm. Now, how are you navigating in this whole nightlife business being, like, really the only female one day at a time. Do you ever get any flack from the male promoters in the city, or that's I don't not know even if an I issue? I call it flack. Uh, they they show so much love. Oh, well, that's good. They do. Um, I don't have any beef or anything like with them. It's just okay. I know my place. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, but then I'm not gonna allow you to make me feel lesser than. Um, <laughs> I, it's situations where I'm like so. And I'm being frank with when I say this. So if I had a dick, I bet you wouldn't have came to me this way. I come, right. I approach you like that, right? Because you wouldn't go to another man and do this right here. Mm-hmm. So don't do me. And once top. once I get this straight, we good. Mm. I'm gonna give you the same love respect you're supposed to give me. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think for Memphis nightlife? Was a good year for Memphis nightlife. So. Like it seemed. To me personally, it seemed like it was a bunch of new guys and new groups throwing parties, mm-hmm. and it seemed like all of them seemed to jump. Mm-hmm. So it seemed like Memphis's outlook is on the up and up. Uh, Memphis nightlife outlook mm-hmm. is on the up and up, and I think there's nothing but you know positivity oozing from the city right now, and I think it's a I think it's a good look for the city. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, especially like in the social areas like i like it when you know like how downtown's coming up you know uh midtown's coming back up mm-hmm. uh crosstown mm-hmm. broad mm-hmm. uh they got all those areas you know that they're investing in definitely you know, a lot of development going on. and venues and just things to do mm-hmm. a lot of people you know they at the house like oh it's nothing to do in the city it's nothing to do. i hate it's when people say that you exactly. just gotta yeah get it's out. a lot you can't just live in these myths right <laughs> Explore. Come up off Riverdale. Right. Stay out there looking at the same thing. You know, we could kick it somewhere else, too. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, they're really uh, coming up downtown, midtown, like all those social areas, Mm -hmm. uh, over and crossing. Mm -hmm. Like, I love it, how they're pouring the money back into it for the restaurants and the spots and social scenes. So, I think think Memphis had a good 2018 as far as that goes. Mm -hmm. 2019 should definitely be better. So, you know, it was a big year for music, right? But it was really a big year for rap beefs. I'm talking about Nicki Minaj versus Cardi B. Also, who could forget about the big Drake and Pusha T debolical? We're going to hear from Angelique Jolie of Shop 101s by Jolie and also my good friend and real estate agent Melvin Guy. Yeah. She's different. Right. You know, you got Nikki, then you got Cardi. Two totally different. different. And people be like, Nikki, I'm like, look. Only thing, my only shade is when Nikki came out, Nikki wasn't trying to pay no homage to Kim, and you damn no, near took not. everything Kim did, her pictures. Everything. And I think the whole Kim was. Style. Yeah, and I love, I love, because I know my sister in law probably texting me when she hear this. I'm be, because she Nikki. I'm be talking about <laughs> Nikki like that. I'm I like. a big Nikki fan. Um, is she? I had said something about when Cardi came out with her album, 
and Nikki had those two. So I'm like, damn, bitch, you couldn't wait. You couldn't mm-hmm. get Cardi a week. <laughs> and here you come trying to take the spotlight. Yeah. And she was like, well, she, I don't see what... Ugh. My sister, Sadie's be like, uh, her album, all right. I'm like, that's my whole thing was, like, Nikki, you want to give me homage? Yeah, Kim looked completely different. But Kim, you can't take... When you hear something back from when Kim used to rap... You want to bum over the beat, right, look, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Girl, you cannot mess with no, Kim. She started all that. She started right. that sex appeal. It's been a lot of disrespect on yeah, Nikki's Yeah, and I feel like if you would have just... And a lot of people came for Nikki about that. Like, wait, mm-hmm. you wasn't paying homage when you was talking about yeah. Kim? Now you want Cardi to come here. Cardi ain't thinking about she Nikki. Sure ain't. She and, sure ain't. And it's like, but Cardi's not trying to take your style either. Cardi's Completely doing different. Her own Completely thing. different. I don't know why we, women, it always, even, that's just women in general. Now, speaking of ghostwriting. Oh, Lord. <laughs> let's get into this big Drake Ooh-wee. versus Pusha T rap yeah. battle going on. Mm-mm. And. It's so crazy that this is going on now from a rapper that really had his career in the late 90s, early 2000s, like going up against America's coveted Drake. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Everywhere Drake. So (laughs) as of today, which, like I said, is the last day of May and this will air, you know, on this upcoming Monday. So between now and then, you know, Drake may respond. Right. Right. He but got till Friday. He got till Friday (laughs) in black folks terms or Twitter terms. Right. you know, this battle is crazy because at this point, to me, Pusha T is winning, in my opinion. Yeah. Now, you may feel differently, but let's kind of like go into some of the history of this beef. It all started um, kind of back on Friday, May 25th, when Pusha T released his new album entitled Daytona with the uh, the Whitney Houston bathroom yeah. oh, that, visual. I don't, I don't know. That was tacky. That was too much. And that was like Kanye's suggestion well See, actually not a suggestion this is what we look, do with push look I, that was tacky it's just wrong time to be taking some from kanye right now that's how I that's, see other, than, other than probably them beats that he used on that uh little short cd he put out but the, the beats was fine but but that, that picture that picture is horrible i hated it now Pusha T put out the new album, Daytona. It included a track called Infrared, yeah. which contained a number of allegations about Drake using ghost writers mm-hmm. and being fake. And, you know, Drake responded with a diss track called Duppy Freestyle, which he claimed Pusha T wasn't even that good of a rapper and that he wrote his raps for Kanye West, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. He also released a photo of an invoice <laughs> that he allegedly <laughs> sent to good music executives requesting payment for, quote, promotional assistance and career <laughs> reviving, unquote. <laughs> now, after he uh. put that invoice out there, Pusha T actually retweeted OVO sound link to Duppy Freestyle, telling them to send the invoice for an extra 20. Uh. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. But we were all like, is Pusha T going to respond? What are you going to say about Drake? Yeah. Woo, 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 woo. Days later, Pusha mm. T released another track This The song is called The Story of Adidon. Yeah. And this was accompanied by a photo of Drake in blackface. Did you oh, see that photo? Yeah, I saw the photo. When you saw that photo, that photo initially, what did you think, Melvin? So in, initially I was like, dang, Drake got caught slipping. Like, like you know what I mean? Is this like, Photoshop? Right, right, like, what like, is this? Like, dang, like, is like what happened? Like, at first I thought it was maybe just kind of a play on, you know, he used the whole, like, Jay-Z title for the song. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, maybe they just put a blackface on 
on Drake. But then when I later found out, it was like, no, nah, that's a real photo Drake took. Mm-hmm. I was like, uh-oh. Like, Drake, you might. What is going <laughs> on? So, up. like, once you, that picture was right. released, Pusha mm. T was like, please stop referring to this picture as artwork. He says, yeah. I'm not an internet baby. I don't edit images. This is a real picture. These are Drake's truths. See for yourself. Yeah. So we were like, what's up with the blackface? So now we have an answer for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Today, Drake released a statement, not about referencing the baby Mm-mm. that, that Pusha T, <laughs> you know, mentioned. Stay away from that. Not about that the mother is a porn star. He's staying away from that. You know, not about, you know, him saying something about the producer, you know, wishing death on him. He said that, quote, I know everyone is enjoying the circus, but I want to clarify this image in question. He says, this picture is from 2007, a time in my life where I was an actor and I was working on a project that was about young black actors struggling to get roles, being stereotyped and typecast. The photos represented how African-Americans was were once wrongfully portrayed in entertainment. And he also went on to say, me and my best friend at the time, Mazen Elsadig, who is also an actor from Sudan, were attempting to use our voice to bring awareness to the issues we dealt with all the time as black actors at auditions. Yeah. So that was his response to the blackface picture. Yeah. Do you believe him? I, you know, I think when you <laughs> when you look in like the history of like you know movies and film and actors and stuff like that, when you think about like some of those. Those uh those black actors back in the day having to do blackface, although they were black people and stuff mm-hmm. like that, just to kind of um, exaggerate features and try to make them look a certain way. I can see where he thought that that picture would be a play on like how he feels like they're being treated now, mm-hmm. um, but. You know, that, you know, what is that, that intent versus perception or how, you know, look, like you might have had a certain intent, but somebody should have been like, hey, hey, Drake, I don't know if that's going to come over right. Um, and, and just kind of like pulled him back and mm-hmm. was like, let's go a different route. Like, mm-hmm. let's make an infomercial. <laughs> like, do something. something. Not this blackface we don't. That blackface, I don't, I don't know if that was the route to take. I think. Um, I think that was really the dagger. Yeah. The picture. Because, oh, you know, the pit, like, so. The song, I, I, I do think Pusha T is, is, has taken the lead here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, I will say not a fan of Pusha T. Like, mm-hmm. I think that his delivery was just kind of regular. Like, you know what I mean? It's kind mm-hmm. of one of those things where if you were to hear the song not knowing the beef, you probably wouldn't be as we like. You wouldn't be talking about it right, right now. Right. But mm-hmm. I think that, you know the lines that he was dropping as far as like the personal attacks is kind of mm. like ooh mm. like you talk about this man daddy soup ooh like, he talked about the daddy <laughs> the mama and you know what yeah. I think because Drake has so much star power yeah. it's like you know a lot of people you know millennials on uh, back they're like who is Pusha T so right. they're not even you know don't even you mm-hmm. know relate him to anything so right. it could be like he has nothing to lose in this so yeah. like we were saying like i mean i remember i remember push t from like grinding like that grinding. might be right mm-hmm. that's about it <laughs> like, I, 
So, like, you know, he went for the juggler, yeah. uh, Drake. And to me, it's like, whatever, if and when Drake responds, because he took a time out, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. He just wanted to explain the blackface, and that's it. So, yeah. you know, his new album, Scorpio, is supposed to drop June. We don't have a date yet, but that's right. coming through, too. But at this point, you know, I'm like, what can Drake say about anything? Look, I... Just a response to what? Pusha said, I mean, he gonna have he gonna talk about his braids or something. And then I mean, like, what's the fun in that? Like, right. like you I know, don't know. Like, he could just say, "Bump it." Right. Uh, let's just release Scorpion and move on with right, our lives. Right, right. So, you tap out and just hope for the best when you drop this new album. Like, I don't, I don't know. Okay, at this time, I'm gonna switch gears a little bit. You know, I am a woman, and being a woman comes with a lot of things that we are facing in today's society. From plastic surgery to insecurities um, to just dealing with your workplace with natural hair. We're going to hear from three of my former guests about these topics. We're going to hear from New York, Angelique Jolie and Jerrica Phillips. Did you see the Black China pictures that were released today? Right, because they was like, well, why is she doing that photo shoot? I did hear something about that. But did you see? I didn't see the picture. Girl, her booty look like it's on a million now. Like, she got some extra booty shots or something. It it, it looks disgusting. You know, Let that's me the new wave. Google uh, Black China. Let me Google Smoogle for you right quick. What you think about all that plastic surgery with well, these Well, I'm not women? into that yet at all. Me neither, but why I do mean, you think that these... really shows look. like... Look! Oh, wow. That's just too much. Oh, that don't look natural. Do you think men really like this? Apparently so. Everybody doing it. Girl, but what about when they turn, let's say, 60? What that booty going to look but like? But I think they have to upgrade it, refurbish it every so often. But who pumping that nitroglycerin in their booty at 60? Like, you think they going to keep well, it know, up? When you get breast implants every so many years, you have to go get them redone. Maybe we just not into that. Well, that wasn't on our wave, but that's the new wave. But I but but I think it's like a trend though. Yeah, it is. That's that's the trending thing right now is to get your butt implanted. You Have know? you ever wanted your booty bigger? Like, well, of course. So who? I, yeah, I wanted my butt bigger, but not that. Not to do go under the knife to do it. Some good old squats. Yeah, some good old squats or some some kind of lift underwear or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, they got the little underwear that's supposed to lift and make up. that booty look right. You know, if you don't really need it, it could be kind of an insecurity that you have because, like, Very why would much you go so. do that to your body because of p- other people's opinion? Or do you have right. an opinion about yourself that you're not happy with? Exactly. And then you get it and you still making it bigger and bigger. It's so. like you never happy. You've had Bubble, mm-hmm. aka MJ. <laughs> You know, are you comfortable with your body right now? Now I am, but who he about to turn too. Uh I used to kinda when I first had my son, I was like, Okay. And I won't I don't I don't I don't believe I had postpartum because I was still I was still doing my, my boutique, but I wasn't ready to take pictures because you Kinda your body insecure yeah, a little bit. And, and in my head I feel like I look like my old self but I didn't feel it but when I would see myself on pictures I'm like ooh mm-hmm. I'm got look the turkey neck my arms are still flabby so I wasn't ready to put myself out there like that and I'm all and I'm all about like you said I, I like to take pictures of myself so people can see like this is something that I would personally wear mm-hmm. you know but I wasn't I wasn't ready yet until now so now you see me I'm on Instagram with my shorts on and but you ready now yeah but it took it took, <laughs> um, it took two years like yeah. I had to I was doing all 
any diet you can possibly think of. I went vegan for three months, lost a lot of weight, and gained it back three really? times because think about it, I wasn't eating what I was used to eating, and then I'll go back to eating milk or drinking milk. And number one, dairy right there, mm-hmm. I cut that out of my diet completely. So I think that's really the reason why uh, I'm the weight is sticking off because at first it would go up and down. But I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable in my skin now. Are you on a diet right now? Now, one of the things that we love about you on social media is you talking about your hair, honey. <laughs> Now, Jerrica has gorgeous hair, and she's a natural. I'm natural, too, but, baby, my stuff not like her natural. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, my God! Wait a minute. Little little story. Uh, we were just at Wine on the River, mm-hmm. and Jerrica hair was late, y'all. No, it, it was, wasn't. Ooh, it was late. <laughs> By the time I made it to that tent, my, my hair was... Poof. And I'm like, oh, don't nobody take no picture of me, please. But anyway, no, let's talk about your hair and work. Yes. Can you just wear your hair however you want? Negative. Negative. No. Um, I went natural. It Like the movement started probably like, what, 2010? I mean, people have been natural for years. I mean, people have been wearing their dreads and their but sister the locks. Movement. Yeah, the movement movement um, started I would say around 2009, 10, 11 in mm-hmm. that time. And um, I caught on to it. I was like, you know what? I'm not getting a relaxer. I'm, I'm going natural. And it was tough because people think going natural is about to be, yes, now my hair is just going to, you know, be free. But you got to do a lot. It's work. It's work. It's work. And so um, going natural, the the only thing that really was the biggest challenge for me was being on television with this transition, mm-hmm. you know. And so oh, the transition, the transition is very difficult. <laughs> so I was wearing a bun a lot, like okay. a top bun. Mm-hmm. So my roots were one texture and the top bun was okay. another. And I was just waiting to cut off most of the perm. But um, I had a really supportive group of managers at that point who kind of let me do what I do. And that's like known. If you go through the history of the 10 years I've been at Channel 5, man, I hate to see my hair because I'm like, man, why did they let me do this? It was, yeah, but it's basically what other black women have gone through in that transition of going natural, but it was public. Right. So you could see all of the struggles but, that I was going it through. It wasn't that bad, though, because you have an... Uh, um I want to see when I say nice gray See, hair. no, no. You have a, and the ladies know what I'm talking about. It's no. the difference between people with the good, good and the eye and then the There uh-uh. is more kinky coarse <laughs> hair. I have a niece okay. who has really kinky, kinky coarse hair. She has good braiding hair. Okay. And then you have a softer texture that's kind of, it slides with the braids, you know, it mm-hmm. gets a little frizzy or whatever. But honestly, my hair is really thick. And I, again, I go back to the word resilient because I do a lot of stuff to my hair, coloring it and, and it breaks off and, do, and it grows back. I'm loving your color you got today. Thank you. It's I'm loving the color. I have good. to be... Listen, I gotta what color be that? independent some kind of way. I would say like a honey blonde. A honey blonde. What it is has the a little bit of red. Say about this honey blonde. So <laughs> when I talked about my management before, they were letting me kind of do anything I wanted. I had women, mm-hmm. you know, and they were just like, "Hey, they you know, they understand." But I mean, at the same time, I think that in news, going back to the professional side of it and the requirements, um, we have to maintain a look. And I think in news, it's always 
been this like little bob, straight hair, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And so they were allowing me to kind of do my thing because Memphis is a predominantly African-American exactly. city and black women and most of the folks who were watching understood what was going on. And I use social media to kind of let people know, hey, I'm having some hair problems today yes. or new hair alert or whatever. Yes. You know, I was going to do whether I'm wearing <laughs> crochets. You know, I, I have done some things on TV that most were like, wow, OK, so you said the trend. Okay? No. But you did it. <laughs> I did wear some feet in braids after a vacation. I came back and I was on TV with feet in braids and no one said anything. So, I thought okay. that they were professional. They were up in a bun and I thought that that was professional. So new management came in and they had basically said, hey, we need consistency, mm-hmm. which I understand. So when you turn on the TV and you're expecting to see your TV personality, you just kind of want to know what you're going to get. You know, I mean, I guess if you're going to a restaurant, you order the same meal, you want you want consistency. Okay, so I compare it to that only because I understand that when you represent a brand, you have to do what they ask you to do because you're representing them. And so we kind of talked about McDonald's. You got to wear your McDonald's shirt when you get hired. okay? (laughs) but the difference is in all fairness across the board. Yes, we have to have approval approval for our appearance. But I think that the issue for a lot of African-American newscasters and people on TV is they feel there is some discrimination when it comes to our hair being a distraction Mm -hmm. or. Um, feeling like, okay, I can't wear this style or that style that's my ethnic culture because someone's not going to be comfortable with it. Right. And so that's the only issue. I mean, Caucasian hair, it doesn't do as much as nor And I mean, in general, I mean, you have white women who have curly hair, you know, whatever. But it's either going to be curly yes, or straight. straight. And it's so our hair do, does a lot. Our hair does a lot. Yes. Natural hair is just going to do what it want to do we on whatever day. Out. We might be straight. We might be locked And up. we have to have protective styles because our hair does break when we manipulate it too much. True. And so black women wear a lot of protective styles. And so I have pushed that envelope as far <laughs> as I could. And you're so passionate about it. Look <sighs> at her face, I'm y'all. so serious i just i just i want some faux locks so bad oh you can't get them you can't do it management said no the management contract the management standard is consistency so Mm. when they said hey you can wear your natural hair but it needs to be consistent you know what there were a lot of headlines this year regarding mass shootings at this time we're going to hear from new york and michael mosby discussing parkland florida shooting and some of the recommendations Trump was proposing in the aftermath. The mass shooting in Parkland, Florida, where the young man killed 17 people. I mean, it was just so horrific. And you kind of think, could something have been done differently to prevent that from happening? You know, we talk about gun reform, gun control, uh, getting our government leaders to act on better gun control laws. Do you think something could have been different with this situation? Well, I just feel like we just so concerned about terrorism. We got homegrown terrorists, homemade terrorists, and their kids. And the Internet is allowing their minds to be open to all these different things and different conspiracies because I'm a conspiracy theorist. I I listen to all of them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you have a young mind like them and they're easily influenced and to believe in these things, there's a lot of things you, I believe on the internet that's probably not true at all. Mm-hmm. But so it's the, out there. The, the internet is not the encyclopedia, but it has taken its place. 
So I just feel like, you know, that was something homegrown and made. He learned that here. He did. You know what I'm saying? And he's not a foreigner. He's an American. Um, And I think we should pay attention to him. But you know what Trump said today? He said, even with this whole idea, that he wants to offer bonuses to teachers who will go through a special training to maneuver in a situation such as a mass shooting. So he really trying to, you know, (laughs) pump this idea up. But let's, let's just be real, though. Let's be real. Where are the mass shootings happening? Have you had a mass shooting in any hood school here in Memphis? I don't know. It's not in the hood schools. It's the mass shooting's not happening in the hood. <laughs> no. First of all, ain't no hood kids got AR-15s. True. Or access to them. Mm-hmm. Like, the mass shooting has happened in the suburbs. That's in, where they've in, been happening. In, in, in the places like Carrierville and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So... Him offering bonuses to those teachers, you offering bonuses to those teachers who are working in the suburbs in case a mass shooting happened. What about offering bonuses to teachers who working in the hood where they got to break up fights every day, where man, they getting cussed out, they getting called bitches and hoes every day. What about offering bonuses to those teachers, mm-hmm. those teachers who actually go beyond teaching, mm-hmm. those teachers who actually pick up kids from school, mm-hmm. cold kids, feed kids, mm-hmm. offer bonuses to kids like that. So. So if you think of he offering bonuses to go do this special programming, if it's going to do that, then open it up for every educator that's out there mm-hmm. to get a bonus because you got a bunch of educators who are working in poverty environments, like bottom percent schools, and they actually doing the best that they can. But like you, you working for an ultimate government educational system who has already like put it out there for us to fail. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like, if you're going to offer bonuses, man, offer bonuses where it counts. Well, since we've mentioned education, we're going to jump right on into it and discuss some of the improvements made to the curriculums. Um, the idea of teaching financial literacy. Also, the pressures of evaluations that teachers endure. And also how some of our educators are making a huge impact. We're going to talk with Daryl Cobbins, Lakita Fox, Melvin Guy, and T-Dot. You know, you kind of hear, and I know you've heard this before, that there's a big difference between Mississippi's curriculum mm-hmm. versus Tennessee's, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. Um, the two, and they're right next to each other, you mm-hmm. know, state line. Mm-hmm. So what do you see immediately some changes that need to, I guess, get Tennessee to a higher curriculum? Well, um, we've done a good job over the past five years in terms of raising the bar in terms of standards and expectations of students and what they need to know, uh, but also in terms of teachers and evaluating them based on that uh, student performance and achievement. We were probably 48th or 49th in the nation when you ranked states, and now we're probably in the low 20s. That's a big improvement. It's a big improvement in a relatively short period of time. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, a lot of that credit goes to – Candace McQueen, who's the uh, commissioner of education for the state, and um, and of course the districts around the state that employ teachers that work hard to prepare students. You know, I'm um, not a big fan of standardized testing, but ultimately that's the way that we learn what mm-hmm. students know. And if there was a way to not have to test so frequently and just allow students to learn 
what they need to know on a daily basis. That would be ideal. But constantly testing. But with um, the federal government and a lot of their funding is tied to performance. And so we have to do like a lot of other states do and take these tests and see where we stack up. But we're doing well, and I think um, if we can continue on the path that we've been on, you know, we should be fine in in years to come. So why do you think people just don't know about their credit score? Because you say a lot of times people never have pulled it. They don't teach it. You got to think about it. It's not taught in our schools. Mm -hmm. I mean, and if our parents wouldn't talk, how would they teach us? Mm -hmm. So it's important that today, we start today trying to find a way to learn or either do our own research in regards to financial literacy. I mean, that's a big piece of our lives. It is. I feel like they could replace financial literacy truthfully with, I don't know, um, name a social studies, social studies, something. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) they could replace that with financial literacy, you know, or maybe even cut out some extracurricular activities and put in finance because we need it. Mm -hmm. They I mean, it's a life lesson thing. And I mean, they're going to go through it. Now, were you uh, teaching when, like, all of those strict evaluations oh, were man. coming out? So I came in right when it got started. Ooh, that so was- it was kind of one of those things where I didn't know any different, so, but I would hear all of the complaints and stuff. Teachers. Yeah, from the older teachers where they're like, I used to only get evaluated once every however many years and all this other stuff to – you know, we were all getting evaluated like three or four times in a year. And shoot, mm. if you had a bad performance, then you were getting evaluated like five or six times out of a oh, year. Wow. So it was it was definitely uh, one of those things where it did add a certain level of pressure to the job that I think um, people don't really understand. Uh, I think, you know, people want to throw out, you know, you got summer break and spring break mm-hmm. and Christmas like break. Like the teachers and, have it all good. <laughs> right, right, right. And it's, it's one of those things where, man, it's, it's pressure, man. It, I would, you know, Chastity's a teacher too. And mm-hmm. so, you know, in, in that, you know, in that position, in that job, man, you are basically mentally, physically, emotionally, mm-hmm. like, drained when you get home mm-hmm. because you're dealing with attitudes. Mm-hmm. You're trying to make sure people are learning. You know, you standing up, walking around, you you know what I mean? In, in some cases, you know, you might even have to run or do something. You just you never, never know. know. You and know? it seems like you all are so invested in the kids, yeah. too. So I'm sure that they would talk to you guys about non-school-related oh, things. And you're a role model. It's <laughs> more so, pressure. Right. And sometimes you want to be like, look, don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. Because if mm-hmm. you tell me that, I got to tell somebody. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so... You know, it, it, you definitely get you get truly um, attached to the kids. You you really um, invested in their futures. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things where I, I think that even kind of led me to kind of what I'm doing now. You know, it's just kind of seeing people reach their goals and building those relationships is all a part of you know mm-hmm. why I do what I do. Yeah. So when you were um, a student at Lemoyne, you were in education. Um, yeah, I got my bachelor's degree in early childhood education. Okay. okay. Yeah. And so you immediately started teaching. Mm-hmm. That very next year. I didn't want to student teach because I wanted to get paid. Mm, I know you did. Shoot, you don't get paid know, right teaching. right out of school now. Shoot, I'm like, no, nah, I got to go this other route. Mm-hmm. So I went the alternative route. Mm-hmm. So I had to teach at um, a contracted school, you know, with Memphis City Schools. So. Mm-hmm. You know, I did that until I finished passing all my tests. Mm-hmm. And then I started teaching at an actual 
Memphis City School. That was Lincoln. I was at Lincoln first, and now I'm at Dunbar. Wow. So how long you been teaching now? This will be my 12th year. Wow. Right so here. you've survived, like, all of these Ooh, all evaluation the oh, changes yeah. that a lot of my guests come here that have taught, and they, they're probably it, in another profession now yeah. because it gets hard. It's harder. It gets harder every yeah. year to wow. get those scores. But this year I got a 4.47 overall, and the highest you can get is 5. Wow. So I'm awesome. really proud of myself for that because yeah. that's the highest score I've ever gotten. Yeah, that's so, good. Yeah. So, but but like you teach pre-K? Mm-hmm, pre-K. So yeah. how is that working with, with, <laughs> with those students? It's amazing. I love working with, you know, children anyway. It just does something to my heart just to know, like, the impact that I'm, you know, providing for them, you know, and just watching them grow mm -hmm. academically. Like, they start out at three, mm -hmm. you know, tier three, and they don't know anything. So it's just... It's just amazing to see their, watch their journey and see them, you know, excel. Time for one of my favorite topics, politics. Now, you know, this was a huge election year. There were some changes both at local levels and, of course, at national levels. Uh, we're going to hear from quite a few people regarding different subject matters regarding politics, from Jamal Whitlow to being intentional to Brown Lee talking about voting. Angelique Jolie will discuss Trump in office memphis meeks will talk about the possibility of war also one love theo is going to talk about being an immigrant and how he felt when he heard about the different detention camps for some of the immigrants children and chef reagan is going to talk about breaking news when it comes to the different political networks and mikhail lowry is going to end it off talking about the honduran caravan you know we there's a lot of room for growth in memphis i will say that um we we've 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 made some small moves maybe not as marginalized as these numbers project uh that we've done but we've made some small moves you know we do have you know black people in in good positions and we've had black leadership over the last 20 years in our city um and that the conversation may now need to be shifted to intentional like what's the intent now yeah. Like, like, let's go ahead and um, what are what is our next move going to be for real? You know, the question is, where do we go from here? Like, so we've 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 experienced a Memphis with black leadership um, and it's, it's no knock to them. Um, they've done their thing. I, I salute them. Mm -hmm. And now I think we're in a we're in a point in the in the in the history of the city where, you know, young people, it's, it's our turn to jump up and, and it's our turn to to do some new things and do some different things for our city. I think when you look at the. The older generation, like they, they did live these. They lived those problems. Like the the fortunate part for my generation, like yes, we experience racism, but we don't experience it on the level in which they've experienced it. And so, which we move different. Like we all move different because of that. And I think what's the beauty of our youth is the fact that we do move differently. Like things are just a little different now, and it's our turn to lead in this environment. And I just love more. Love nothing more than for the experience in the in the vanguard to 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 Godfather the deal for us. But until we get out and vote and do something about it, it don't just it ain't just our mayors, it's our legislation, it's it's the the, the senators, all these people, our, oh. what they call the, the the commissioners and all. Mm -hmm. We can't just stop at one person that we like. We have to do the research and find out 
who's for us. Mm-hmm. And we got to put up those numbers and get them in office. Mm-hmm. Until we do that, it's going to always be like this mm-hmm. because our our other color brothers and sisters feel like, oh, they lazy. Mm-hmm. They ain't going to do nothing. You got people running for office. You don't even know who they are. And they don't have your best interest. They don't care what happened to you. Mm-hmm. But you're not researching. You ain't looking. They get in there. They make the rules. Mm-hmm. They change them up in the middle of the game. They and do what they want to do. That's yeah. systematic right There you go. But you remember right before the election how uh, the FBI came out with that information on Hillary. Yeah. Which really, I think, kind of fucked up. Yeah, because a lot of people were like, I don't trust her. She mm-hmm. a snake. And then I remember watching the election that night. I was crying like, damn, he Like, this is real. real. Like, like, oh, my God. Look, at work the next morning. Look crazy. Like, hell. damn. But I feel <laughs> like people, the only thing I, the, the only good I ever seen in that was like, damn, you you can do whatever the fuck you want to do in America. You don't got to have true. no degree, no background in that. This man mm-hmm. just has money and he's Filthy the rich. Yeah, he's the fucking president of the United States. But you know what? Donald Trump is exposing a lot, a, a lot of stuff that we did not know yeah. in politics. Yeah. And I think that's a little silver lining. I really don't care for him, but he exposing a lot. Right. I just, I'm like, you know, is this God's plan? Like, yeah. what is going on? Yeah. With. Trump in office, do you think we're gonna going back to war so? I don't know. Trump is <laughs> such a wild card. He's a wild card, exactly. It's like on one hand, we know what he's what he stands for. We know we're not supporting that. But then he just met with the Kim Jong un dude like the other day. <laughs> so it's just like, all right, keep doing that part though. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't want them to come over here at all. Because right. it's, it's more of them than it is of us. Yeah. And, and then it's like we kind of feeling like is he really cool with Putin from Russia like that? Like, cause Russia I think they've been a, tight. You think? Yeah, but I feel like them investigating Russia and all that is mm-hmm. what... Is that's where the conflict kinda, of interest comes Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, we might not be cool no more. So... Mm-hmm. I hope, I hope we don't get into it with them. I hope world peace. I'm rooting for everybody to be peaceful. World peace. and, and I'm mainly doing that because I have two sons. And I just keep thinking, if war comes, they're going to do the draft. And I got two boys. Yeah. No, no. I don't think that I don't think the draft will ever come back. You don't think so? Nah. It's too many people signing up. It's, it's too many people signing up. Still to this day? Yeah. The military, like, they not, you don't see too many ads anymore because they don't need people anymore. It's the recruiters still have their job. Okay. Uncle Sam posters still pointing at you. But they not, it's not a need because we're not at wartime. Now, if we go to wartime, some people start dying, maybe. Oh, wow. Of course people going to start dying. You know what, like, oh, it's just, to me, when Trump got in office and they did the budgets, he invested so much into military defense. It's like so many... Things were taken away from critical budgets to right. military defense. That's right. why I feel like, oh, it's coming. Yeah, I mean, coming. I think I think he knew he wasn't gonna back down to anybody. So oh, he's no. just like, yeah, say something. I got he got his finger on the button. He ready. He, <laughs> he like, ready. he like a little kid. He ready. He's he's emotional. He's impulsive, and he just all right. Y'all gonna y'all gonna do? This? Y'all sure y'all want to do that? I'm gonna hit this button. Mm. Just a big issue overall with our president Donald Trump <laughs> and mm-hmm. you know the immigrants that are here just yeah. trying to seek refuge you know from what's going on in their society so just recently <clears throat> they've been separating parents from their kids in these detention centers and it's just deplorable conditions that they're keeping these kids in and now it seems like 
you know, they can't get the kids back with their actual parents. It's crazy. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, like, did you like with with you, you know, not being from here ever feel like, hey, he might try to make me go back to Jamaica. <laughs> like, I, you know. Yeah, see, I I thought about it a few times, like, I wanna try to go take but I know it can't have it because I'm a citizen, so mm-hmm. I got my citizenship. So I know you can't take me back unless I really, really do something crazy. And then again, I still don't think you can. But mm-hmm. but what's going on? I think they're just crazy and just wrong. Cause like I said, I'm an immigrant too, and I just I just don't see how it's possible for him to be doing stuff like that right, in like, America. Why is he still the president? Exactly. I'm surprised. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised about that too. It's just this is I thought you know America is supposed to be. All nice and all that, and so also mm-hmm. helping each other out. But mm-hmm. we we rather go help another country before we help what's going on here. And like mm-hmm. you're trying to kick out people, and then these are kids that are kicking out too. Like yes. they they don't know what it's like over there. They kids, they want, I don't think they were born there. They was born here, so I mean, like they going to somebody a whole new country. That's right. that ain't easy because I know what it's like when I came here. Right? <laughs> yeah, I was like traumatized. Really? <laughs> were you? Yeah, it was because I had to learn how to talk again. Like a whole new, pretty much a whole new language, you know, Patois, that's my, you know, language, just broken English. Mm-hmm. I pretty much had to learn how to speak right, you know, talk right. Mm-hmm. Kids in school was making fun of me and all that. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, like even when they can say with the protesting and all that, the lady who climbed the statue and all that, it just, right. I think, I agree with her. We got to protest, but. Yeah, she said she wasn't coming down until the, <laughs> the, the kids, kids are, are back with their parents. Yeah, yeah, I agree, but I don't know, I don't know what's going on come out of this i know yeah, i hope it turned out good but. i do too because yeah. it's like it's one thing after the other every week is something new with this president right, every week it's and a- now and now he gets to pick a new supreme court justice oh lord and i was shocked when he got in the, in the white house i couldn't believe you <laughs> reality yeah. star haven right Man. now that's what's going on we got reality stars yeah. running the united states of america yep Oh my God! See, uh, see, I don't know any anything. I get all my my gossip and stuff on uh, Facebook and Instagram, but my political stuff, my my social media on Twitter is all political. How did I know that? It's all political. I'm on there too, right? And I've been like, what did he say today? And I was like, what this? Huh? I mean, and you know what? I'm gonna gonna sue. MSNBC, CNN, all of them for the breaking news tag. Stop saying breaking news. You're giving me a heart attack. It's not breaking news. He no, do something they, crazy they every day. Everything and, and it's not breaking it news. You, real breaking news. Give me some real breaking news like Merla has come up with the smoking gun. Stop playing. Yeah, give me some breaking news like uh, <laughs> President Trump has been impeached. Yeah, stop breaking, breaking news. news. I don't want breaking news that Stormy Daniels got arrested. Oh, when I saw that Girl. today, I said, is this at the top? Exactly. Because they trying to Bobby Brown. <laughs> they oh already knew they was going to rest. I saw that today <laughs> at work. I was like, yeah, wow. And then why? they set up. They, like, you yeah, know that they did. They, 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 they doing a Chris Brown. It was like, soon as you cross that line, we got you. I'm just like, really? She touched somebody. I'm like, you know what? She a stripper. She, she a stripper. You, you know about <laughs> the champagne room. Stop playing. <laughs> that was crazy. It's crazy. And, and we need to stop blowing up all of this stuff but i promise you i watch it and i'm you know i'm i'm into sports into politics i just try to you know know what's going on around me but that politics is gonna give me a heart attack yeah now the last thing i want to kind of talk to you about 
is this Honduras caravan. Mm-hmm. You got all of these people that have been walking from Honduras for like four days. Mm-hmm. It's like 7,000 people yeah. at this moment right now right. trying to seek refuge with the United States. And Trump is like, no, you can't come. And I'm going to stick the military on you, go back home, and we're going to cut funding out for your country. Right, that's ridiculous. You see, this president seems to forget that we're a nation that's built on immigrants. Um, we're also a nation that's built on laws. Mm-hmm. So you have to find a fine line between the two. Um, we need to be a welcoming country. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there are laws that have to be uh, followed to enter our country. Like le- the legal process, just, just, right? Just, just like anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are things that you and I have to follow every day because that's the law of the land, whether we agree with it or not. Uh, and then when we don't agree, it's up, it's up to us to make it known so we can change those things. Um, but just to, to say that we're just not going to let anyone in is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what our country was built on, a, a nation of immigrants. Um, so uh, I wish that he had someone in his ear that could remind him of that. That's not happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, for him to talk about cutting off funding to other mm-hmm. countries because of that, it's just it just shows the mentality that he has. Um, and again, I just hope he's not in office uh, in the next couple of years. But, um, you know, you hear every reports. So I think he said that there are some think I think he made a comment that said there were some terrorists. That's the, what I was going to bring up. And I'm the, glad you did. In the group. Right. Like, Where y'all get that information from? How do you know from? this? You right. Know, you but know, didn't he retract that? Hey, did he? I, that's, I, I thought I heard that because I guess he could not prove that. I'm, if... If this president's retracted anything, then <laughs> I, I'll be afraid. I'm, I'm, I don't think I've ever heard him say. Maybe subtly. Yeah, well, <laughs> somebody in his office may have retracted. I don't think he's ever said, I didn't mean that or my bad. I don't, I don't think that. I don't when think he's I capable of doing that, that. I was like, where is? where are people getting this information? Um, you know, they're saying that not only are there like ISIS members in, in this caravan, they're saying that it's a lot of criminals, uh, rapists, blah, blah, blah. Like, how y'all know? Did y'all stop and talk to people? What I, I know, mean, I know. It's a lot of stuff out there right now. You know, the truth be told is our country is continuously changing. Mm-hmm. And you can see uh, what our demographics will look like 10 years from now, 15 years now, 20. We can project that. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that President Trump represents doesn't like the change that's happening. Therefore, that's why he has his slogan, Make America Whatever you know, what you know what he says. Make America great again. Mm-hmm. Oh, Which is ridiculous. You know, it's hard for me even even say it. <laughs> I see you couldn't get but, it out. But but uh, it's just ridiculous of a slogan. But um, but because the writing is on the wall, mm-hmm. uh, the way our country is changing uh, from a demographics, uh, you see him spew rhetoric and talk about walls and talk about not letting people in to further slow down that process. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately. He speaks to a large demographic of people who agree with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and listen, I can agree that we need to have laws followed when entering our country mm-hmm. and do it the correct way. Um, but what I'm not going to agree with was you just telling people no one can come here. We're going to cut off funding to countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're already labeling you as a terrorist, rapist, drug oh, yeah. dealer because you're trying to escape refuge. Mm-hmm. Uh that's something he knows nothing about. Listen, we don't know anything about that. But what some of our people do know about is a struggle. Mm-hmm. And it may not be that struggle, but you know about struggle. Or your parents had to struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you empathize with people who are struggling and want a better life for themselves. And so that's the type of country we need to be.
Well, speaking of politics, you know, President Trump caused quite a stir this year in regards to the Me Too movement and how he selected, of course, his Supreme Court Justice, Mr. Kavanaugh, and also the Me Too movement in general. We're going to hear from our producer, Sanaa Laybourne, in regards to these matters. It's a lot of controversy about um, his name is, his last name is Kavanaugh. He is slated to be the next federal court judge. And uh, he's recommended, of course, by Donald Trump. And kind of similar to um, the whole situation back in the day with Clarence Thomas, um, when he was being introduced to being a federal court judge, he had a woman by the name of Anita Hill coming out saying that, you know, he sexually harassed her um, and, you know, did inappropriate things. And we often, especially now, see a lot of that coming out with men uh, in power um, and women coming out telling their stories with the Me Too movement. Um, the guy that was over CBS that's married to Julie Chen, he just had to step down from his position because he had a lot of complaints. And Julie Chen even stepped down from being over the talk talk show. And I hate that for her because I know she's really in a complicit situation with her husband, head of CBS. And but now she has the, the job she had with going on a talk show called The Talk talking about people right. that are in the Me Too movement. She can't do both things. You can't be with your husband that's doing the same thing you're right. talking against. So, I mean, how do you feel about, you know, the entire Me Too movement and how everything is getting exposed now with, you know, men in power? And even some men are coming out about women right. as well. So what do you feel about this whole situation? I think it's... Um I think it's a very positive movement. I think any kind of atmosphere or cultural shift that allows people to um, talk about the abuse that they've experienced, I think is a very positive change that needs to happen, whether it's women who are coming forward after decades, right, or men as well coming forward about the abuse that they've experienced at the, at the hands of people in positions of power. So I think it's good to see our culture hopefully shifting to where people know that they are accountable to their actions regardless of if they happen today or if they did happen you know decades ago so as many of you know that we celebrated this 2018 50 years after the death of martin luther king jr here in the city of memphis and at that time mlk was here fighting for the sanitation workers to um, just have fair wages and guess what memphis is still number one in poverty so we're going to hear from some of my good friends discussing the man that Dr. King truly was uh, 50 years later. And we're still still talking about poverty in Memphis. Uh, we're going to talk about some improvements that's going on surrounding poverty and some of the development going on. We're going to talk with Earl Fisher, pastor, Dr. Earl Fisher, that is Jamal Whitlow, Daryl Cobbins and Devontae Payton. Yeah, so so but in that class, that's when I started to engage more deeply in some of King's rhetoric and language. And that opened my eyes to not just this caricature that we parade around just so we can highlight this notion of nonviolent uh activism and, and stuff like that, but the radical revolutionary disruptor that ultimately was killed because he was disturbing 
the social order. And Making he, them uncomfortable. Yeah, he was pissing these niggas off. I'm right, talking about. Because it had never been done. Yeah, niggas and white folks, too. I mean, right. or should I say white folks and niggas, too? Because, I mean. Everybody. Yeah. It's like, not like all the black people were for him. No, nah, man, he and had that's like. What a, people, some people don't understand that. Yeah, when King died in 68, I think his disapproval rating was in the 70s or 80s nationally, and it was in the 50s or 60s in the black community. I'm feeling different this year for some reason. I'm not happy today. Like, today is not a day that I'm celebrating. Mm-hmm. It's a day that I'm reflecting, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and and what hurts me is that Martin Luther King's family have to come here every year and stand in that spot and see that spot where their father was killed. Like, hmm. could you imagine doing that every year? I couldn't. Did you... Have you heard his speech? Um, he gives a speech. And he talks about his daughter laying in the next room and his and his wife because they only had one kid. I think when he made that speech, and that speech, you saying that just has me like, oh, just thinking about. I could hear the passion in his voice mm-hmm. because he he talked about a phone call that he received and they were saying you need to get out of town now. And he was thinking to himself, you know, he said he looked in the room and saw his wife. Looked in the room and saw his baby girl and was like, dang man, you know, if I if I sit here and do this, I could be putting my whole family in jeopardy and you know he just talked about it was but it was god that gave him his call and told him he was gonna be okay to keep pushing right and it's and it and to your point just seeing them having to come back and relive that you know the crazy part about it is like them having to relive it and like other people are like making money exploitation off of of this and 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 i'm feeling some kind of way about that like it's 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 different, man. It's the it's the way of the world. You know what I'm saying? It's 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 really different. It's hard. I hope that you know that the King family gets stipends or something like a token of appreciation to just say, hey, we we appreciate you. Um, you know, my biggest thing is like, dang, y'all gave up y'all daddy for us. Yeah. Right. Like I know what my father means. Y'all see my dad. My dad always at all my events. So could you imagine like? Him, him losing his life to save, you know, thousands and millions of people's lives is to, to just really change the world. Like, right. And man. then to come back to Memphis on the 50th uh, commemoration <laughs> day, they call it. I right. don't want to say anniversary. Like, what do you say? But to come back 50 years later and we're still fighting for the same thing that he was fighting for. We're still number one in poverty. Well, Poverty Unplugged, I think that is something really good that you guys came up with to address yeah. Memphis being the number one city yet again in poverty, you know, and for MLK 50 to be here this year and to still be number one in poverty, still number one in poverty since Martin Luther King Jr. died. And that's what he was fighting for. Right. It's embarrassing. Yeah. It's like it should it should prompt us to really be radical in terms <laughs> of how we how we change that and not just let MLK 50 be a ceremonial kumbaya feel good type of thing but it should really be how do we look back 50 years from now Mm -hmm. when you know either we're here or not here but our children are here and grandchildren Mm -hmm. are here and that they're not dealing with the same issues that we are that's my biggest motivation is i don't want my son having to wrestle and and deal with a lot of these issues Mm so and like when you look at the um, sanitation workers, like uh, that are still working, mm-hmm. and they're still talking about it's the same subject matter. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. just floored. Like, well, they say the more things change, the more they stay the same. But we uh, we have to be intentional. 
Yes. So with the poverty unplugged, that was Lori Robertson uh, who produced that, and Kenneth Robinson, who's the CEO, and that's their their great work. I was just privileged to be there to facilitate a little bit of it. And you know, it's so much development going on yeah. in the city of Memphis, especially downtown. And I actually just saw an article earlier uh, today about them comparing Memphis to being like the next Austin, Texas. Oh, like okay, it's supposed yeah, to be like yeah. some rapid growth. Yeah. I and saw um that. my most recent podcast guest for episode thirty two, Rob Hunter Jr. with Robusto by Havana Mix. <laughs> he was talking about all the development last week and mm-hmm. you know they're downtown with their business. Yeah. So it's very interesting to me with you living downtown. Do you see all of this development going on? Does it directly affect you Yeah. right now? You know, when I moved downtown in 2012, again, like downtown was on the come up um, and it was, you know, still hustle and bustle. But like right now it's at a completely different level because there's so much investment now. Um, and even I saw the article as well um, that you mentioned and, it, and, and the I guess the four places that they um, talked about, n- none of those places were active when I first moved downtown. And so I've seen the development of all of them. And, I, you know, for it to be downtown and, like, bringing in that energy downtown, I think it's good. But then I also look at it and I go, like, man, I, I really wish this type of stuff could happen, you know, in some of these other neighborhoods that actually mm. need these resources and right. need uh, millions of dollars to be poured into them mm-hmm. um, and what that uh, could look like. And so, you know, when I read the article, it was like – I kind of, I kind of like <laughs> turn my nose up at it, you know, and it's it's crazy because I live downtown. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm enjoying all of those features and all of those places mm-hmm. just by me living down here or down there. Um, but at the same time, like this is this is actually not what the growth is because we're not really addressing. Uh, you're talking about Memphis being the next mm-hmm. Austin or Memphis on the rise. And what about well, poverty? We we're not rising unless we're addressing poverty <laughs> um, and uh, these under resourced. Um, communities and giving people, you know, living livable wages, and right. um, that's the only way we're gonna rise. Not mm-hmm. because we're putting up buildings, you know, that mm-hmm. go up in the sky. Right, um, so. and it seems like the push for all of this development and building is to attract people to the city. Yeah. But I mean, when people find out the real truth about the city, are they gonna want to come? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I mean, we do have like your FedExes, service mm-hmm. masters. Et cetera, et cetera, but we need to address like some of the critical right. issues, and that's that's one of the issues that people have with Austin, because um, yeah. Austin did that exact same thing. They were all about attracting people to the city, which then you know kind of forced the natives and the other people mm-hmm. out, um, and made it you know less opportune for them. Um, and so I definitely see a lot of that happening mm-hmm. um, in Memphis right now, um, but I also see a lot of people really strategically and intentionally fighting um, to invest more um, in the people of Memphis. But there is so much more that we can do because, you know, I'll be honest, when I, one of the reasons why, you know, I was unemployed for so long was because I was trying my best to stay here in Memphis, um, but I wasn't getting as many hits here as I was, everywhere else. Um, you know, Isn't out of town. Exactly. Like I was getting hits from Dallas and yeah. um, Nashville and even Jackson, Bigger Mississippi, city. you know, but I'm yeah. like, uh, you know, I'm trying. I, I, I want to be a part of um, Memphis rising for real, for real. And right. I want to um, be a, uh, be an example of someone who's, who was able to stay um, and be successful and then gave back and helped, um, you know, push the city forward. So let's talk about sports for a moment. You know, there's a big contrast, of course, 
when it comes to politics and sports between the NFL and the NBA. But we all know that. But let's talk about the NFL for a minute. And, you know, this year they instituted some pretty weird policies in regards to players kneeling. Some of you may feel some type of way about that. Some of you may not. But we're going to talk about that with Nicole Harris. Also, we're going to talk with Mr. Jason Smith of ESPN about his feelings on Penny Hardaway and will Memphis be patient with Penny? And lastly, we're going to talk with Rob Hunter of Robusto by Havana Mix about him being just a huge mega Memphis Grizzlies fan. Well, you know, football is America's number one pastime, and there have been um, so many controversial issues lately with the NFL and uh, the anthem, the national anthem, uh, players kneeling. Uh, Colin Kaepernick kind of started it all off, just really kneeling because of injustices and police brutality with African-Americans. So now let's fast forward to today. The NFL commissioner um, rolled out a new policy stating basically all players have to stand during the national anthem at this point. And if you don't, you have the option to stand in a tunnel and so not be visible, I guess. And if you do kneel, you're going to get a penalty. So, I mean, everyone's buzzing about it. I, In my opinion, I think that's a bad move by the NFL because, I mean, it just seems like they don't get it. Like the point of why Colin Kaepernick was kneeling in the first the place. The protest was never about the flag. No. You know? And it's just. Why they keep trying to make it that keep, narrative? And it's so tiring. Like at this point, you know, right. you keep, and I'm just like, if you don't get it by now, you're just you're doing what you want to do. And basically it's, it's sad for you to have these grown men that you're making billions of dollars off of, you know, and majority black, majority black. And they're kneeling is them essentially crying out to you saying, hey, there's a problem and I can't really do anything hands on to fix it. But this is how I can show my support and raise aware- support and raise awareness. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, no, you can't do that. Stand up. What is the big deal? You know, like, it's it's a control thing. Like, somebody tweeted today. They said, you know, just the same way Rosa standing standing up wasn't about the bust. Kneeling is not about the flag. That's a good statement. It, and I wish I could remember it's who symbolic. tweeted it. It flew by, but it it's not about the flag. You know what? Um, I also heard today that. Do you think that Memphis will have the patience with Penny Hardaway? For the beginning of his program, what is your outlook for the program for the first few years? Because how long does it really take to develop a college basketball program? That's a great question. It does. It takes some folks longer than others. For Memphis, they don't have a lot of time. Um, it is their main revenue producer, basketball. Uh, because, like I was telling you about football, most schools, athletic departments, their main revenue is football. Um, from the television contracts that they get with ESPN. Those SEC schools, Alabama, those schools, they're getting $30 million a year from the SEC. For Memphis, being in the AAC, you're outside of that. You're getting from your conference, you're getting 5 to $6 million a year. So you're literally working with a fraction of what the big schools have. So for Memphis, and it's always been this way, basketball is the moneymaker. And so for Penny Hardaway, to, to get to your question, for Penny Hardaway, and that I mean, that's why they had to move off Tubby Smith. I mean, you give them two years, and for most, you look at that and say that's not enough time. But they were losing. Uh, the president said four point. They were on pace to lose four point seven million dollars. Memphis 
which again can't get that money in football, ha- can't afford to lose that much. It mm-hmm. it doesn't just affect the athletic department. That four point seven million that they were about to lose, that money Memphis has to make up in raising student fees. So it it, it screws with the entire university. So the point basketball's got to be good for Memphis because it affects mm-hmm. the entire university. They need that money flowing. That's what that's why you had to move off Tubby. And to get to your question with with Penny, I hope they give him the time. Now, listen, his honeymoon phase is going to be long, a little bit longer than Tubby's honeymoon phase here, because he's from Memphis, because he's a local legend, because we love him, right? He's an ambassador. He's been that for for years and years and years. So he'll get that. But here's what's going to happen. You and I both know it. He's going to get good players in here, and once he does that, it's going to be the same thing that Memphians wanted from Josh Passner. Josh used to get top three, top ten classes in here. He had not been a Division One head coach. To the point now, he'd been an assistant. He was a good recruiter, though. He was a good recruiter, and that's why he got great players in here. Mm -hmm. And what happens when you get great players in the Memphis? The fans want to see you win big with those great players. And that's what's going to happen to Penny. He'll get those great players in here, and the fans are going to expect him to win super big with them. They're going to expect him to go to Sweet 16s and Final Fours. And if by year three or four or five he hasn't done that with those high-caliber players that everybody's expecting him to get, Mm -hmm. people are going to start to say, well, maybe this guy can't coach. And see, and, and and that is my one concern for Penny in this sense, and and, and for Memphis. Here, here's the here's the case. Penny, before he became head coach, was a booster. He he. Penny gave you as a graduate millions of dollars. He literally has his name on a building over there, the hall, the Penny Hardaway Hall of Fame. So he was one of your supporters and donors. If this thing ends ugly, and you have to fire him, and listen, all coaches eventually, most of them, they get hired to get fired, mm-hmm. right? If you have to fire him, it gets ugly. Why well, worry? Well, remember Larry Finch when the whole town turned on him, right? He was a, much like Penny. He was a program hero. At the end, when he couldn't get the recruits anymore, the town turned on him. They wanted him out of there. And, you know, it's sad to see because once Larry lost that job, you could see him as like they took the life out of him. Like he, he didn't – health-wise, he didn't, he didn't do well. Right after that, you just kind of saw his health kind of fit. I worry about that for Penny in the sense that if this fails – which right now I'm certainly not predicting that. I'm hoping it takes off, and I think it will. But if it did and the the city turns on him and they say, well, wait a minute, he can't coach, well, what's going to keep Penny? Why would Penny continue to donate to the school You know that fired him? Or or what if he goes back to AAU and he, and he tells his AAU players, man, don't go to Memphis because they ain't about nothing over there. They fired well, me. Could it could get so ugly Ooh, to where you, you're literally talking about everybody buzzing and so happy to have a hero back that and you could turn a, a hero – into an enemy, if you fire him. Don't so, so I were no, nah, I that, I know, and 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 you know that didn't necessarily happen to Larry, and it's different because with Larry, he wasn't a booster beforehand. He wasn't giving the university millions of dollars beforehand. He didn't have control of AAU players. Mm-hmm. Like so, oh, so, so after he got fired, there was no kind of get back that Larry could do. Penny got he got pulled, <laughs> and Penny could hurt you. If if he left unhappy or embarrassed uh, out of a firing or something like that, and that that is my that is my one concern. But I'm certainly predicting big things, especially early on. And uh, I think everybody in Memphis would like to see that thing take off. Because like we talked about earlier in the uh, the podcast, when when things are going good, when good when when sports are good, we all get behind it. And it all brings us together. And you, this city needs that. We always need that. And it'd be a good thing if we could all come together. We've done it with with Tiger football. It'd be nice to see it with Tiger basketball too. I know you're like the Grizzlies' number one fan. Oh my God! Okay, okay, <laughs> I saw okay. This man. I saw this man. 
All on my Twitter timeline. Everybody taking pictures of him. ESPN. Everybody keeping up with him. Let's was go. It, was that at the Grizzlies? So I traveled. Summer. Okay, so I'm about, about to get. Tell me the story. Excited. He got hyped in it. <laughs> I travel with the Grizzlies. I've seen the Grizzlies in Boston. I've seen the Grizzlies in OKC. I've seen the Grizzlies in Atlanta. I travel with the Grizzlies. I love the Grizzlies. Just give you a little bit of backstory. When I had, um, either when I had histoplasmosis or. Um, open heart surgery, the Grizzlies just showed a lot of love, right? They gave me tons of stuff. Uh, Mike Miller came to the hospital to come see me. Um, they stayed in contact with me through some of my formative years. So after that, like, my loyalty is probably my strength and my weakness because that's it. Like, I'm rocking with y'all. I've been going to Grizzlies games since well, um, <laughs> when you buy 10 tacos at Taco Bell, you get two free tickets. Oh, You Lord. know what I'm saying? Oh, my God. And so I went out to Vegas, and I went to the um, – they have the – what is that? The, not the rookie game. It was some type of summer. Yeah, the summer league for the yeah. rookies. Exactly. Yeah. And, I mean, I always – every time I travel, I travel with Grizzly stuff. I see. Every single time, no matter if I'm outside the country, wherever, because I'm trying to make more Grizzlies fans, and I'm, I need to let everybody know where I'm from. Mm-hmm. You know, you got like a collection of jerseys. I got. Right? I think I have more jerseys than anybody. Than I, any grizzly. I have more grizzly. <laughs> if I have enough grizzly stuff, underwear, socks, robes, jerseys, shorts, t-shirts, hats, toothbrushes, <laughs> to where I could wear straight grizzly stuff every day for three or four weeks. Wow. Well, we know what to get you for Christmas. Come on, I more love grizzly. it. I love it. I love it. But I was just at the game turning up, you know, and I mean, I'm. I'm for the boys. Like, I'm for them. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm an extra part of the team. We I feel like they need me. The, you the know. cameras were on you. You know, but I didn't even realize that yeah. until for a while, right? And then the my, commentator's um, like, look at this guy. Right. So, look, so <laughs> my auntie texts me, like, yo, you on TV. And so it showed on the camera. Like, I'm looking at my phone. Then I look on the camera. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm on TV. This you is crazy. <laughs> it was so lit. People come to me after the game. People come up to me in the hotel, like, yo, I just see you on mm-hmm. TV. I just see you on ESPN. So, I mean, it's been lit. It's been, um, I've been very fortunate to be in contact with some of the people from the Grizzlies mm-hmm. um, to start up a couple cool initiatives. Um, I've been on the news, WREG3. Shout out to Troy, Troy Washington. Shout out to Troy for Givers. Give, no, no, no. What is it? What you say? Fan. Givers gain. No, Troy givers says that. Gain. So my thing is always winning, never losing. Okay. Troy's is Givers gain. Okay. But I'm still in it, Troy. Just let you know. That's mine. <laughs> givers gain. Okay. Don't be mad, though. But I mean, we just been extra lit. I mean, concerning the Grizzlies. So. Um, hopefully, uh, you know, it's crazy What in terms of just like speaking stuff into the universe. Mm-hmm. Right. So I write out my goals every few months. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the beginning of the year, I put this on my father at the beginning of the year. I said, I'm going to work with the Grizzlies in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And my homegirl was like, do you know anybody work for the Grizzlies? I said, no. She said, how are you planning on it? I said, I don't know. Like, I bet you did it, though. I don't know. But it's happening now. I know. It's people, happening people, now. See, people think they can't do something, nah. and you can do anything. Nah, you can do anything. Anything like, you want to do. You can do anything. Like, anything Anything is possible. Anything is possible. Like, think about it. We used to, we never, there was a time when we didn't have iPads. There was a time when we didn't have cell phones. Right. There was a time when we didn't have televisions. Exactly. There was a time where we didn't have radio. Somebody had to do it. Somebody had to right. think of it and say, I'm going to do this. And put an effort for it and saying. execute. That's execute. it. That's it. Everything is possible. <laughs> if you put it into the universe and you say, I can do this, then anything is possible. If you want to be whatever yes. you want to do, 
long as you put the effort behind it and you believe in you believe in yourself, mm-hmm. then that's it. Like I bank on myself all day, Emma. All that's day. it. I believe Me in myself too. so much. That's what I'm saying. Anything is possible. So if you are an avid listener of the Verbally Effective Podcast, you know, one of the things that I talk a lot about is social media. You know, it consumes a lot of our times. And of course, my guests want to talk about it. So we're about to hear from quite a few people from this past year discussing social media from Tyke T to TJ Jefferson, Alexis Young, Don Tripp, Brown Lee, Nicole Harris, Troy Washington, Kim Thomas, L. Mack. The Dudley Boys and Jerrica Phillips discussing social media. Instagram is tough because you're you're competing against that algorithm now. That too, algorithm right? is dangerous. A it's crazy. And I know that algorithm is like a buzzword, but really what that means for you, indie artists, if you're not getting engagement, it's gonna fall down. So it's not gonna be seen in that it's just not gonna be seen. So it gets thrown away. And then you get three likes and you say it. Same thing with Facebook, but you need to figure out what it is you're trying to do. I personally, I run a lot of sponsor content. The reason why is because $5 can stretch mm-hmm. to 800 people. It will reach. It doesn't make any sense for you not to spend $5 if I can reach 800 people to see it. I'm just trying to dominate you. So maybe I can't get on K97. But what I can do is hit you every day with $5 over and over again. It's the same thing like radio. It's just cheaper. So smart businesses have realized I'm not going to put millions of dollars in the radio or I'm not going to put millions of dollars here. Let me put thousands of dollars into the place where they consume music the most, which is Mm -hmm. their cell phone. Mm -hmm. So if I could give you any words of advice, it would be to figure out what you want to do. Be consistent. And I would definitely run sponsored ads. I really would. This good stuff. Now, so much has changed since you've been to school and in this business. And I mean, I think on every podcast we talk about social media because Mm -hmm. it's like totally, you know, taken over. Mm -hmm. And so what would you say to a potential client that is saying to you, well, do I really need a PR professional? Because I could just utilize my social media, you know, because people really think that's all they need. They do. And I said, okay, because you can use that, but why not have a public relations person in your arsenal to combine that? Because Mm -hmm. if you add the social media in addition to the public relations campaign efforts, strategic communication, then you have a marriage made in heaven if you can do both. So, and if they don't want to, I just say, okay, well, good luck. I still like your pictures and we'll move on. Mm-hmm. Has social media hindered your business in any way or has it, you know, I guess catapulted it? It has helped for sure. Mm-hmm. It, it, I guess it's a, a even exchange because you do get a lot of people who just think they can do it on their own. And mm-hmm. I've had clients in the past who, you know, got to a point where they will pay you up until this point, but. I see what you do, so I think I can do it now. Really? Yes, that's so interesting for my life. So I say, yeah, go ahead, girl. Good luck. Social media has just really kind of changed a lot of the things that we do on a day-to-day basis, who we're influenced by. Um, What would you say is your favorite social media platform? Instagram, definitely. I think, okay, so I have two. Instagram to promote, post. I love Instagram because it, it's easy and then, too, it reaches so many people. Like, when I check the um, – because if you make your page a business page and then you click the archive – no, not archive, the stats, I believe, you can see how many people are viewing you. And then that kind of puts in perspective, okay, 
maybe this is what I need to promote more. Maybe this is what it's, you can kind of use it to your mm-hmm. advantage. Yep. Now, Twitter, when I'm going to bed or I need a laugh, <laughs> I go on Twitter. Those are my two. And then Facebook, I actually like Facebook. Mm-hmm. That's the weird thing. I really, I like Facebook. But Facebook is at the bottom of the total bottom. bowl for me. All that, you know, we have Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter. I've just gotten so consumed with those. I don't have time like I used to for mm-hmm. Facebook. Like, that's like last on my list. But I'm still checking for Facebook because, you know, you got your family on there. Facebook is F for family. That's all it that is. It is. It's F for family. All that is. I mean, and social media is like, uh, social media is like a prescription drug where it, it helps what you think it helps. But the side effects are so endless that they mm-hmm. can't even put mm-hmm. it on the bottle. Mm-hmm. And, you know. What's your favorite social media platform? Um, I hate social media. Of all the ones that I would prefer, I guess I would say Instagram because I get to look and observe without speaking. Even though I have, you know, naturally since I'm an artist, I have to, I have to post more. Mm-hmm. I try to post as much as I can. It's still a learning curve for me because I don't know how to invite strangers into my real yeah. world. I mean, it's easier when it's music because in music. I get to dictate what I give you. I don't give you everything. Mm-hmm. But with social media, especially Instagram, or all of it now, anything that's visual, they want to see everything. They, wanna they want to see me tie life. my shoes, <laughs> clip my toenails. And I'm like, you know, some things I think just ain't supposed to go there. Exactly. I try to keep it vague. Like, you know, I, I post a uh, picture with me and my daughter at the, the father-daughter dance, mm-hmm. but I didn't show any video of it i didn't you know i didn't i only posted one picture that was only to show you know i'm I'm human I, i'm a father first i'm a father before i'm a rap artist you know and that's what you know i care the most about is being mm-hmm. a father but i didn't want you to intrude i didn't mm-hmm. want you to be able to comment on what took place in the father-daughter dance because mm-hmm. it wasn't time for instagram it was time for my daughter it was her yeah. moment and not the internet's moment for me that's my thing i have to I have to balance it out, and some people don't agree with A lot of people don't agree with it, but I agree with it, so mm-hmm. I really don't care. Well, at least you're setting boundaries. So, but you do use, I notice, social media a lot. Of because, course. Because that's what's it's going there. on. It's the culture. The, the culture, mm-hmm. the culture uh, requires the attention of social media, so why not? You know, it's, it's an it's, it's, it's a easy tool. It's a, I won't say... As effective, but it's mm-hmm. effective, but it's not as effective as getting out, meeting people, shaking hands, mm-hmm. building relationships. Old school. Old school. Old school. I'm gonna tell you something. Don't none beat. Don't none beat emails either. Nothing. Yes. Emails and are emails still required. Still, right. 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 See, and those are the <laughs> fundamentals. Right. And I think I could teach a class on you this. You could and, teach a class. Right. You could. You could do an online one right, right. now. Right. And make some money. On right. You know. <laughs> like when did you join Twitter? I joined when it first opened, but I deleted the account because it was dumb then because nobody used Twitter. Mm-hmm. So you were talking to yourself. I said, mm-hmm. I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. Then I joined, I think in 2018, it was Diva Diatribes then. Mm-hmm. And once I transitioned into journalism, I ended up deleting that account because I was really ratchet and I didn't want, you know. <laughs> Not you, Nick. <laughs> Not like ratchet, ratchet, but I was ratchet enough to where I didn't want people to Google that and see some of the stuff mm-hmm. pop up. So. 
um, I created the the Nick the Editor account mm-hmm. and blog. And mm-hmm. for a very long time, there were people who would see me in public and they're like, Nick the Editor. Mm-hmm. They would not know my real name. Mm-hmm. People to this day still don't know my real name. <laughs> they were going by your Twitter handle. They'd call me Nick the Editor, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I like Nick the Editor because, I mean, it really fits, you know, a lot of what you put out there in your social media space and what you do every day. So kind of like we kind of like met on Twitter anyway. The majority of the friends that I have, I would say a good 90% are relationships that I've built from Twitter and Instagram. Isn't that awesome? Like when you really utilize what the social media platform is there for, like, Mm -hmm. you know. I mean, and there are so many different people. It just, I look back on it and I realize how blessed I really was Mm -hmm. to have Twitter Mm -hmm. because there were people I could call on to say, hey, can you proofread this resume for me? Or, hey, I was thinking about applying for this job. Do you know someone or can you help me get my foot in the door? Mm -hmm. And vice versa. You know, Mm -hmm. I love the fact that there are people who don't hesitate to call me and ask questions and ask for help. Even when I was in Biloxi, people were still calling me asking, mm-hmm. well, who do I call for this or how do I do this? So mm-hmm. it's when you use it right, it's a really great resource. I don't know what Ye doing, but I knew he wasn't coming. I mean, were you expecting to have an interview today with Kim? Is that Was that the goal today to get a convo with Kim? I, I approached it very open-minded. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even know if I was going to find her. Mm-hmm. When we were sitting in the meeting, Everybody said, no, it's not a story. It is a story. No, it's not a story. And then they said, well, we're going to send you regardless. So I was planning for, even if I never caught up with her, I was checking Instagram, her Mm -hmm. Snapchat. I was checking her sister's Snapchats and Instagrams Mm -hmm. and Facebooks. And I was searching it. And I put up a post on Facebook and Instagram. And I I did a Facebook Live. I was like, okay, if none of this finds her, then I don't know. She is just, where's Waldo? Mm Mm-hmm. So when you got the phone call of the location, was there like a really good good insider? Was it the Alice Johnson people that told you or they no, finally figured it out? They did not tell us. We got a tip. At NBA, baby. We did get <laughs> They stayed true. We did get a tip with the address. Um, we went there and in the car I was just thinking like I don't even know if this trip, this tip is going to be correct. I'm just mm-hmm. like, well, what am I going to do? What's my plan after this? So pull up and it's definitely the place because there's like 20 cars. Mm-hmm. There's a satellite truck. You can see the tour bus. Uh, it's probably, you know, Hoda's dressing room. You know how mm-hmm. they do. So we're there and we're the second station to get there. At that point, there were like a lot of people hadn't showed up. Mm-hmm. So then everybody else came mm-hmm. after that. But we waited like two to three hours after for her to even come back out. And she had already been in the house for an hour when we pulled up. Mm. And so, she didn't say anything. No. Nothing. She just. Nothing. No she way. just walked out. I mean, you have to meet Alice Johnson. She is the sweetest lady. So I, I know that Kim loved her. And I'm sure Kim was just focused on why she was there. Mm-hmm. But it would have been nice if she could have. Yeah, I'm from the country. Just mm-hmm. throw up your hand. Something. I mean, you always <laughs> talking to paparazzi. Talk to the, you know, hometown. And we couldn't even people. get that close because of the driveway being so far out. Yeah. And, you know, the private property. You they can use the road. They did all That's of that. A, yeah. So they found a family member's home that was... You know, kind of secluded. Mm. A lot of people. South Haven is perfect, though, yeah. if you think about it. Yeah. But the good news is you met Hoda. Hoda, yes. She friendly. Like, okay, she's exactly how <laughs> I thought she would be. And that that made my heart smile because sometimes you meet people who are like, oh, I'm about to say famous people, but people who are on TV and you expect them to be 
stuck up or they're just they disappoint you because they're not what you thought they would be. Right. That's a lot of time why I don't like to meet people that I really love because I'm like, I don't know. They're not going to be what I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. But she was. She was down to earth. She waved at everyone. She smiled. She spoke to everyone. She said Kim was coming right out. She just seemed just as bubbly as she does on the show. And seems to be her personality, like, I, in I, real life. That made me feel good that she is so true to herself. I mean, I've met some people where they just, it's not the same. And I don't know, maybe you catch them on a bad day. Was it hard when you made that full transition into blogging, like getting that consistent check? You know what I'm saying? Knowing when you're going to get paid. So, into giving that up to do your dream. Unless you become super, super huge, there is no consistent check with it. Like, you have to hustle. Like, if you want it to be just a hobby, you're just doing whatever. But if you're actually trying to monetize it and make money from it, mm-hmm. you're constantly looking for different um, streams of income. And you can do – you. it doesn't just have to be, you know, working with a brand. It can be event hosting. It can be um, – doing you know ads and sidebars and things like that it can be consulting because you've you know you've gathered so much information about blogging that other people want to learn about and so they are hire you to help them figure out how to get their blog done Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's been one of the biggest misconceptions with blogging because people think okay if I just constantly put up all these posts and I put a thousand ads on my page that's it and it's like no (laughs) it's it's very very hard but it can be whatever you want it to be mm-hmm. if you know how to work it. We we transitioned to Facebook, and that's when people just start signing up, signing up, signing up, signing up on Facebook. And we got to know each other, and I start, you know, I know people not only from Memphis, but I start running into people I went to school with when I was in, like, elementary and junior high and high school from East St. Louis and, and St. Louis. that's the beauty of Facebook, I think. And it just, I mean, so I had people from Chicago, St. Louis, Atlanta, um, Dallas, Texas, L.A. that were spread all over the place mm-hmm. that became my friends, and it just started catching on and catching on. And... I've always been passionate about politics. Mm-hmm. And when I started off, I always put up stuff, you know, dealing with campaigns and um, uh, uh, topics that affect the African-American community. And and then I started getting into relationships. Mm-hmm. That stuff just really just blew Sword. up. You have to be kind of careful because mm-hmm. some people can take stuff the wrong way. It, you know, does that you, happen often? You can misinterpret often? a text. yeah. You know, a lot of people misinterpret. They see their perception is their reality. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I remember one particular topic. Uh-oh. It got heated. What was the topic? There was a topic of a young lady. She was very attractive. And she had four of her children. I would assume her children. Mm-hmm. Look at the picture. <laughs> four children. There was no man. Okay. Okay. So I posted it from the perspective of a man who was interested in finding a young lady to probably start a relationship with. Mm-hmm. And one thing that shared with me is is that younger guys share with me like, "Hey, man, look, it's so frustrating in Memphis because I cannot find a woman who doesn't have a baby daddy." Mm-hmm. You know. I don't want to, you know, point Memphis out, but Memphis is known for having a lot of single mothers, 
have children out of wedlock, whatever the case may be. So a lot of there was a few guys who said, "Well, I want my first child to be her first child." So, uh oh, the women, I, the single mothers oh came boy, through. They came for the me. single mothers came through. It was they came on. for me, and I posted. Mm. The girl was like, "She's attractive," mm-hmm. but I said, "This is like seeing a car you love on a lot." But when you get inside it, you see it got 140,000 miles. Oh, <laughs> why did you say that? Oh, Lord, what happened there? And, oh, my God, it was a hailstorm. But that was what was on your mind. Right. It was a hailstorm. And, I, and I'm speaking, and, I, and, and when I post it, I'm thinking of these guys, these single guys. That's what they thinking. That's what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. I'm like, God, she's attractive. She's, like, together. But, oh, my God, she has four children? He said 100,000 miles. Right. And you have a lot of women get mad at guys because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the same women that get mad, or the same woman who make jokes that this guy can't do nothing for me. He's five foot five. Mm-hmm. You remind me of my son. I'm like, that's wrong. <laughs> Y'all, you, you, you just hold the punches. I mean, talk about the man's height. But if he has a preference for, you know, dating a woman who doesn't have children, that's oh a problem. my God. He's a, he's a seed of Satan. So it seems like it's really like no holes barred yeah. on social media. And I've seen, I look, I remember at one point I had to check Facebook at least once a day to see what your question was and just really read the comments. Yeah. You know, because like if you comment, some people may feel a certain way if they comment. So somebody going to come for you. If it you sure really will. say what was on your mind, you know. So do you think, like, the impact of social media has just taken things to another level? Oh, yeah. Most definitely, Most yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I say sometimes the gift and the curse with the social media. Cause Why? Sometimes it's like, all right, with the, with the gift part, it's like you get a chance to, like, um, connect with so many people at mm-hmm. one time. Mm-hmm. But with the with the curse part, it's like people get on your nerves. Like, what they be doing, inbox. Mario? Man, in my <laughs> inbox, begging for shout-outs every second. Want me to share this, want me to share that, want mm-hmm. me to just too much. Want me to check this person, check this person. It's just crazy. Like, I get tired of this. How do you movie. respond to them? I don't want to tell you what I really do. Tell me. I want to know. <laughs> I know on the list. Sometimes little I don't read it. Or something. Yeah, I get yeah. some in the messages, though. I, was, I, try to, I, I try not to be like that person that right. don't respond to people. Mm-hmm. Cause you know how celebrities is like yeah. they you will say something to them and they act like but I know they seen it so mm-hmm. I try not to be like that yeah right they're gonna be like oh he acting brand, brand. new but I get tired of it though it get overwhelming Carlos it does what thing what what is the craziest request you've had in your inbox uh check somebody at the moment that's about it but did you it. do like, it no cause I don't, that's the thing we don't that people be sending pictures of check this person check this person it could be somebody they don't like or something it's like oh. nah we ain't with that. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Oh, so that's kind of why we charge for what we do. And we let it be known, all right, yeah. okay, so-and-so, so-and-so, this is a paid promotion by so-and-so, so-and-so. Okay. So. Okay. So if anything, come back to us because, you know, it ain't none to report a person's page and we don't need that. And you guys rely so heavy mm-hmm. on social media right now. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're getting your top stories from social media at this point. Yes. Well, I mean, social media is everything as far as our promotion um, at this point because – 
no longer do people wait for the five o'clock evening news to Mm-mm. sit down with the family at the table That's and watch over. the breaking news. You know, nobody waits. You're going to get breaking news all day long. Your phone is going to chime with the alerts and you're going to see it first on social media. So what we have to do is be first there now, you know, and when we find out something, we need to immediately tweet it. We need to immediately put it on Facebook. And so it's just a new generation, a new um, wave of technology. Mm-hmm. And I think just like with newspaper, with radio, um, with the broadcast television, everybody's trying to keep up at this point and figure out where this is going. Right. And so we're all just ever like, changing. It's yes. evergreen. It's like, who knows what's next? Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow. Okay, guys, last but not least, we're going to touch on a serious topic, and that would be mental illness. And also, I would say slash Kanye West, because, you know, Kanye was going through some things this year. So we're going to end it out with Daryl Cobbins, Memphis Meeks, Hayward Anderson, and mental health expert Justin Dotson. Everybody got a phone right now, and everything is going viral. Yeah. And it kind of <coughs> makes me think of um, just people in the media right now really cutting up. I'm thinking about Kanye West. Mm, mm. Uh, Daryl, I, I know. Are you a Kanye fan, first of all? I'm a Kanye fan. I'm more of his uh, college dropout. Yeah, Kanye. earlier Kanye fan than <laughs> later Kanye fan. But. Okay, well, just recently a big interview came out. This was Tuesday. Because I was at home sick. I, I was at home sick looking on my Twitter in the bed. Mm-hmm. And I saw that his interview with Charlemagne the God dropped. So it goes right to YouTube, of course. And I'm like, dang, this thing almost two hours. I really got to brace myself to look at this. Mm. So I watched the entire interview, Daryl Cobbins. And what I'm wondering, you know, the, the same day after that interview dropped, TMZ had him and a young lady, Candace, come on the show. Mm-hmm. And Kanye was talking about people um, should just forget slavery existed. It was I a mean, choice. It was a choice. <laughs> Who says that? Mm-hmm. And Kanye on TMZ versus Kanye with Charlemagne looked like two different people to me. Yeah. So then we kind of think about, is Kanye okay? Mm-hmm. What is going on with Kanye right now? What do you think, Daryl? Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. Um Cause he's always been a little bit over the top. You know, I remember when he was first becoming well known and seeing him interviewed and you could tell he was a big, you know, big personality. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Did. Uh, but now he's clearly gone into some, some other places, uh, you know, with the Taylor Swift thing he did on the mm-hmm. MTV awards and, um, uh, the spiraling out yeah. of control. Yeah. <clears throat> like maybe when his mother passed. Yeah, I think that has started. a lot to do with it. I think he may have gone through some bouts with depression as anybody would. Mm-hmm. And so now it seems like, I, I mean, I wonder whether there's actually some mental illness there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also wonder, well, is all of this for publicity? Maybe he's, uh, maybe he's stoking the flames to get mm-hmm major publicity and not that he really has trouble getting publicity but mm-hmm. you know I just wonder where the line is in that but you know having um had some some family members who've dealt with depression and some mental illness issues I am very sympathetic so I'm I try to stop short of judging him because mm-hmm. when a person is not in their um ideal state of mind sometimes they say and do things that and that's what that it are seems. counter to to what's natural 
yeah. and what we know them to be. And there has to be a little bit of space to allow that, that individual to uh, heal and get better. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully uh, there's something happening in his life like that right now. But from what I've seen from some of the videos, like the the Charlemagne video, mm-hmm. he seems like he's sitting down having a very that's what it intelligent like, conversation. <clears throat> now, Daryl. But the TMZ video... He seemed like he was talking out of his right. mind. So, so some bipolar going on with that. We're in June right now, and last month, May, was Mental Health Awareness Month. And unfortunately, we've just recently, this past week, had two suicides. Kate Spade, big fashion designer, she was found dead and unresponsive from an apparent suicide. She hung herself with a scarf. I'm hearing that the reason why she killed herself, she was having issues. Her husband didn't want to be with her no more. He wanted a divorce, and she couldn't take it. They were separated, living separate lives. Now, I don't know if, like, her suicide note indicated some of these things, but that's, like, some of the articles that I'm reading is why. Well, he was claiming that there was nothing wrong with her. Is it, like, a cover-up? Well, he's saying that he said that she was depressed because they were going through a divorce. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I don't know. Like, I just can't think of me wanting to kill myself behind a divorce, though. But the, hey, that's I me. mean, you're a different person, and that's that's, that's the biggest thing with the mental health issue. It's kind of like we gonna take it a certain way because we're talking about how we would um, right. deal with a certain situation, but we never know who how the next person is gonna take this. Yeah. And you kind of got to keep an eye on people, even you if you really don't know what people are really going through. Right. You know, any given day, at any given moment. Um, Anthony Bourdain, um, a celebrity chef, writer, um, he killed himself. That just happened this morning. Right, I right, was right. heartbroken. Yeah, like, my what? Instagram is full of them. Oh, full my. Like, pics. What could have been so bad? Because you would think a man like that, he was a world traveler, been everywhere, eating all kind of foods like so cultured it just seemed like he had a fulfilling life but you don't know what was really hurting him never know you know it's just so sad so that kind of makes me think about kanye west Mm -hmm. so this new album the very first track he's talking about killing himself Mm -hmm. and i kill you too and i mean i know it's a method to the man because you know he he loves himself basically because he loves himself yeah i mean what do you think about this new yay album i love the new yay album that song that in particular, that, 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 say, that <laughs> song in particular, I don't, I'm not going to play it back a lot. It's not going to get a lot of playback from me, but I get where he's coming from. Not it's not in saying that I want to kill myself at some point or I think about killing people. It's just the fact that, okay, if you're a musician, you're going to express yourself how you're feeling. And if that's how he was feeling, who am I to say, hey, man, you shouldn't make this song. Mm-hmm. But that's how he was feeling. Mm-hmm. And I like it. Not the song, but the whole album mm-hmm. i mess with the whole album i mean what he says on the on the cover art i'm bipolar uh it's amazing it's amazing <laughs> right <coughs> right so when i hear that first track i'm like okay yeah you bipolar for real kanye but yeah. i'm a kanye fan. i just you know he made those comments about slavery was a choice i'm like i got, I got publicity some, i mean not it is it is but it's not so what he's saying, the slavery was a choice. I do not agree with that at all. I don't mm-hmm. think it was a choice. 
But I hear what he's trying to say. His he ain't never been the best with his delivery. Even when he <laughs> said George Bush doesn't like black people, he wasn't the best with his d- delivery. When he said, uh, "I'm gonna let you finish," but Beyonce had the best video. It's not the best approach, but he's trying to say something else. No, mm-hmm. so with that, all I took from that from him saying stuff after that, not that comment itself, but after that, he's basically saying, "Okay, slavery happened." Without a shadow of a doubt. Still stuff going on now that's messed up as far as racial, racism stuff type like that. Though it's just like, where are we going to go from here? We can keep bringing up the fact that it's injustice, it's wrong, it's messed up for black people here. But where can we go from here? Let's push forward mm-hmm. and stop bringing that up or holding that over people who really don't care in the first place. Mm-hmm. They don't care that they enslaved us. Not all of them. Some people do. Mm-hmm. But most of them don't. And then we, when you really think about it, slavery happened everywhere. In mm-hmm. every, every country in the world at some point in time. Mm-hmm. So... Why are those people not still bickering about the slavery, but we holding on to it? Mm-hmm. Like, as, as black people. As black people, we using it as a crutch. We can't use it as a crutch. We got to kind of try our best to push forward, even though it's stuff holding us back. Mm-hmm. Just try to push forward. So you think that's Kanye's? That's, I mean, that, he Where said he that. From? He said that, but he he messed it up when you say <laughs> slavery was a choice. People are out. They don't want to hear nothing they else. Like, what? It's like, yeah, this nigga crazy. Like, right. So that's, that's how I, that's how it kind of went. Mm-hmm. And so once you say something like that, and then you follow, you can follow it up and make sense all day. But once you say that, mm-hmm. some people just don't even want to hear the rest of the conversation. Man, look, people checked out on Kanye, but I it was, was like, like with, with me being over. in radio, I'm like, y'all still gonna listen to that album? I don't care what y'all say. They saying they not, <laughs> look, and I, I don't care what. Y'all yeah, say. but it's. I've always separated the person from the music. Mm -hmm. Some people can't do that. Mm -hmm. Like all the stuff going on with R. Kelly. People saying, man, I can't listen to uh, 12 Play no more. Who? R. Kelly, that's the man. I got got 12 Play 1 and 2. I'm on deck. Yeah, like how you going? R. Kelly? But a lot of people is like, man, I can't even listen to his music no more. A lot of people are like that. And some, some radio programmers are taking it out of their program. So you said like uh, in Germantown, it's mainly a lot of suicides, not homicides. Is it attributed to, you know, like rich people problems? It uh, can, it can, happy? it can be. Yeah, it, it's it's some of that, but uh, Germantown also has a lot of uh, uh, like elderly, like mm-hmm. uh, elderly people. Mm-hmm. So you know, you get especially around the holidays. We, get, I mean, like November, December, we get a lot of that because you know people just not being with their families, mm-hmm. being away from the families and different things like that. They get depressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so normally that's that's around that time we get a lot of it, you know. So, wow, yeah, you know, we have a lot of, like, nursing homes and things in Germantown where people mm-hmm. don't understand. So it's a really a older community, so, mm-hmm. you know, that's what we see a lot of. And then now, uh, too, we have a lot of overdoses from, mm-hmm. you know, you have the heroin, you know, the opiate, opiate yeah, crisis. These kids, they definitely need an outlet and someone to talk to. So that's great that you help out with the adolescents. Um, And you hear so many stories about kids committing suicide because of being Mm -hmm. bullied. And now we have social media. Yes. And, And I mean, how do you feel about bullying with the input of social media as it relates to psychology? I think that it's it's really um, a a delicate subject because Mm -hmm. 
you know, we're always in our phones. We're always on social media. Always. So that's just the way the world works now. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, you know, I'm only 30. But when I was growing up, we didn't really have things like that. Mm-hmm. We had MySpace. You had Yahoo Messenger. Mm-hmm. Um, but those were ways to communicate with people with, without really seeing them. Right. Um, and so now I love the media because you can look up anything at the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a gift. But then sometimes it could be a curse. Yes. Um, in terms of bullying, I, you know, kids sext mm-hmm. right and they send provocative things or they know that that's how I reach you because I can embarrass you on a uh, a big level mm-hmm. right and so I can put it out there so when you go back to school everybody sees it mm-hmm. so it can be a beautiful thing if you use it the right way but mm-hmm. then children I always say that children are meaner than murderers because mm-hmm. they really know how to get to you where it's really going to hurt and where mm-hmm. it's going to stick yeah and now they have an audience to they do have their an audience. With. and then when you give people an audience that feeds <clears throat> the monster that feeds what they want to do and that makes them feel better about themselves. But usually when people are bullying or when people um, have it out for you, that means that something at the root of them mm-hmm. isn't right. right. And what I'm doing now is I'm choosing just not to absorb what's not mine. Mm-hmm. I'm choosing not to absorb what doesn't belong to me. And so when people try to talk, to, talk about you or put you down, that's really not yours. That's something going on with them. And they just mm-hmm. see you as an easy target or they see mm-hmm. you as an opportunity. Well, that wraps up the best of 2018 Verbally Effective Podcast. I'm your host, your double E, Ina Esco. Thank you guys so much for listening to episode 49. Of course, we have so many big things planned for the Verbally Effective Podcast for 2019. Of course, more live shows. You know, I did my first one earlier this year. We already have one planned for March. And in February, we're going to do another pod box podcasting networking event so i'll keep you guys updated and don't forget to download and subscribe to the verbally effective podcast on soundcloud itunes google play music and of course on youtube thank you so much and happy new year